Well, welcome to the second episode of Good Old Sports. We've kind of had to redo the format. I'm going to let, uh, I'm Riley Pate, best friend Adrian Hernan. I'm going to kind of let Adrian talk a little bit about the format and how we're going to do things moving forward, and then we'll jump into the show. All right, guys, so moving forward, what we're going to do is, what, what we talked about doing is, um, we're going to hit more on the local sports side of it, uh, including our hometown uh, and other surrounding towns around us. Um, and then also, we will no longer be posting on Fridays. We won't have a Friday show, right? Correct. Uh, and then... Uh, instead of Friday, it'll be Monday as what we're doing right now. And so it'll be Monday. We decided, you know, we wanted to make sure everything worked around our schedule. And so we figured, you know, we're going to post Monday. And how we're going to do that is what we're going to do is we're going to talk about uh, games leading up, you know, this week, leading up to the games this week. And then uh, the covering games the covering, yeah, covering the past Friday games. Um Along with some stuff uh, in the professional uh, sports world as well. College. Yeah, college, professional. As we know, man, the professional world, I mean, as NFL has been pretty busy. So we have some interesting topics that we're going to talk about, talk about today. Uh, but that's the format as, as a whole. Um, and also um, for our social media as well, um, getting that up and going. As we've, I've said before, you know, we'll be posting um, content on there, uh, interviews from players and coaches, um, as well as sound bites and uh, video clips from the games and other uh, endeavors, our ventures uh, throughout the week uh, that we go on and um, in, on this journey, on this sports journey especially. Um, so just be on the lookout for that, that and. Uh, I showed our shows on Mondays that you know we'll bring to you guys, but that's pretty much it. I don't. I mean, well, on the content side, you know, we've been talking about. Now we're actually finally getting some of that rolling. Yeah, man, it's been fun. Uh, we'll talk about. We'll uh, dive into that uh, here in a second about you know our content so far. Uh, oh, we are out there on TikTok. You know, we got we, there's uh, videos and there's. Um, other stuff coming out there uh, to you so we're on TikTok go check us out good old sports underscore East Texas uh, or East Tex so this um, man be on the lookout I mean our content we will try to make it the best that we can as of right now but man there will be videos um, sound bites and just a little bit of randomness because uh, you know man we have journeys <laughs> we do. We have journeys. Yeah. Uh, so we want it, man. We we want to invite you into that, and uh, we want you to enjoy it with us, uh, because it's going to be a ride. And I I am excited, as I, I always say, I'm excited and I'm ready, man. We are uh, headed into the first week of officially uh, uh, football action uh, this week uh, coming up for our Pittsburgh Pirates and. Uh, I'm going to let Riley head that one off uh, about what's coming up with them. So before we kind of dive into the, the upcoming scrimmage, which I do want to talk about, um, I, I want to not overlook what happened at Tailgate. 
Oh, yeah. So, Tailgate, um, for those of you that don't know, is the big community pep rally in Pittsburgh. We all go. Uh, the coach gives up, gives his little rah-rah speech. The band plays. They introduce everybody and the mama. I mean, it, you know, <laughs> yeah. those type things. But it's a lot of fun. Businesses set up. You kind of get to interact with the community, other yes. people that you see from time to time. Uh, but, but one of the things that stood out to me about that, there were a couple things that I do want to talk about. The first thing was just the energy surrounding oh. the event. I mean, that was Man. a great atmosphere. And, and there was energy last year, but I thought that there was more this year. And, and yeah. then you really, and I, I touch on this, so we did get an interview that will be posted soon with Coach Tristan Abram. Yes. And I touched on this in the interview a little bit, and I want to talk about it here too. You think about the difference between the energy that, that we have surrounding the program now and the energy that was there two years ago. I mean, it's a it's a it's a very large difference. Yes. But but there's an expectation this year that hey, this might be something special. Right. And two years ago, you know, I think it had become to a point to where it had gotten where you know. It's a tailgate party, you know. Everybody expected to come out, and when you had the COVID, so yeah, there wasn't anything. I mean, it was just a mess. And so, you know, that season, as, as we, if, if you ever follow Pittsburgh Pirate Sports, you know, the one in nine year, yeah, the one in nine year. You know how that ended, and coaching wise as well. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about that, but if you, if you know, and you're from Pittsburgh, you know how the atmosphere was. Uh, and that, on top of it being a COVID year as well, you know how the atmosphere was if you went to the games. Uh, even if you talked to some of the players, maybe even coaches, you knew how the atmosphere was. Well, you know, fast forward into the 2021 season, uh, the atmosphere is completely changed. We got Tristan Aben, new head coach and athletic director. You know, he, he, he comes in late as it is, not really able to have a full offseason with the team. Uh, kind of have to rush things and have to get two days together. And, you know, coming into the season, everybody was wondering, you know, what is it going to look like and or is it going to be the same as it was last year? You know, there wasn't too much hope to say, per se, you know, to say, okay, we, we might be good. You know, everybody's kind of on standstill, just wanted, wanted to see will there be anything different. And as we know, you know, it was different. The culture... Uh, the mindset one was different, mm-hmm. you know. The mindset, the first scrimmage that we had last year, uh, we seen that you know the players' mindset was different. And so as the year went on, we got to see you know the the process and you know Pittsburgh, you know it changed. And one of the things Avery talked about and mentioned at the game, I, uh, you remember he said you know the ship has left you know left the port. Mm-hmm. You know he said it hasn't returned. So. They're picking up where they left off. Uh, and this season, you know, we we have some we have some very uh, interesting opponents coming up that uh, we will let you know more about. But I want to talk about this mindset or this the atmosphere because you you talked about the atmosphere. This atmosphere this year was more soaked in. It was more like everybody was more relaxed, you know. And could be, you could tell that there was no type of tension. Like, oh gosh, like how is it, you know? It, it, there was no tension surrounding the team, and any you know, I just felt a sense of re- relaxation. Just you know, hey, you know, we're picking up where we left off next season. I'm excited 
to see there's a possibility that we will be good this season or even great this season. Well, I think this year it was more about just looking at the football season. Last year there was a lot of questions about the culture. There was a lot of questions about the kids. There was, I mean, there was just so much surrounding it. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, there was a lot of talk because Coach Abram, just two years prior to that, had led Paul Pitt to the state game. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, ultimately losing, uh, ultimately losing uh, to a very, very uh, stout Gunner squad in the state championship game. But there was that. That experience, he had won as a defensive coordinator. He had won a state championship in Sulphur Springs, having played there, then coaching there. So, I mean, there's all of this talk about here's this guy who all he does is win mm-hmm. everywhere he goes, and then he's going to come here. What's that going to be? So, there, there was all of that. This year, there's none of that. It's, hey, we've seen this guy. Now, there's just a lot of energy. But I touched on the interview with him. Yeah. And, and you, you guys will get to hear that. Yeah. But the the thing I do want to talk about in that interview that stood out to me is I asked him is the expectation that we, that this is a squad that can win a state championship? Is it, it I mean almost flat out asking him is it state championship or bust and he says yeah. yeah. I mean and, and it, to me what got me was that there was no hesitation in his answer. Yeah. You know <laughs> well, There's a lot of talk that that this season is about playing for 16 weeks. Yeah, and and anybody that knows Texas high school football knows that means you your expectation is we're going to play for a state championship. Yeah, not that nothing less. But but that's different. I mean I don't remember, and I've been covering, been around and covering Pittsburgh sports for, gosh, over a decade. Yeah, and I don't remember that ever being the true expectation. Now there was the year in 2018 what, what, it was 2018 yeah, when y'all played in the state semifinal game or quarterfinal, quarterfinal game yeah. against Pleasant Grove yeah. who went on to win a state championship that year. But even coming into that season I don't remember it being necessarily the expectation that we're going to play 16 weeks. I think it was just that as that season went on, you realize, hey, they have a good shot here. Like, that's a good football team across the way. Um, And I was coaching in Harmony at the time, but we had scrimmaged them, and I remember looking at them going, okay, that's a good squad. Like, they've got potential. Um, But this is different. I remember the year that... uh, they played Graham and at semifinals in the in the state semifinals. Kendall Wright was on that ball. No, 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 uh, he he was not. He had graduated. Wright, yeah, he, it was after he had graduated. The year after he graduated. Yeah, uh, Mitch Manley was the quarterback. That's right, Mitch Manley was quarterback. Um, but even coming into that year, there, I don't remember there being. I remember covering that team, but it wasn't that there was like again. It was that hey, this has the potential to be a good football team. Yeah, and play deep into to November, but I mean there wasn't any real buzz about we, we're going to play 16 weeks. Yeah. Um, and that, I remember that season. I remember both of those. Uh, well, partly, I didn't really follow the 18 uh, team that you much. You were at the Pleasant Grove game. Yeah, right? I was at the Pleasant Grove game, and that was an awesome game, but there, it's just like you said, there was no buzz about, you know, oh, this team is going to go, you know, this even before then, there was no real buzz like, oh, they're going to go to state, you know, 
or they the you just didn't it wasn't expected. But, Even the teams that had Kendall on them that were very talented ball clubs. Yeah, there was never any talk about this is going to be a state championship. Yeah, team. but see, there's it's, it's not to talk against any of the 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 former coaches uh, that Pittsburgh has had, but this is the difference that Abram carries is that um, just like I told you, the the source that told me, Abram once the team is has gotten good, he doesn't stop at good, you know. He doesn't just live with okay. It's just like he told us in the interview. Uh, we're not working with mediocrity. We're, we're not yeah. okay with being mediocre. So he doesn't stop at okay. Once the team gets good, okay, now let's get better. They He works towards being better, not just staying good. And, and I'll give you a little bit of insight, okay, into working for a guy like him. Um, when I was at Harmony... Coach Tim Russell's philosophy does after we got really good. So my first year there, we, we were okay. We weren't great. 2016, we kind of turned the corner. We beat Wascom. We give them their first loss in three years. You know, all of that. Yeah. So so then that from that point forward, it became we will not be perfect because you can obtain to, to an extent perfection, right? Right. But we, we will do it until we absolutely can't get it wrong, which is never going to happen. And I have seen him. I've seen that man. I know Abram's the same way because just talking to him and, and having coached against him and been around him. The mindset of a guy like that. I saw Tim Russell restart an entire practice because an offensive lineman stepped a half inch too far to his left and left a crack in what was, would have been our uh, buck. Mm. <laughs> I mean, when, when you start getting <laughs> that kind of a mentality, but what ha- and here's why that's important. Here's why I loved, and, and again, you'll hear all of this in the interview, but here's why I loved the answers to some of his questions. Because what you're telling your team is, there's never going to be a moment where you can go, oh, we've got it. Like, we've arrived. Yes. Like, that's not going to happen. And and what it does is there are certain ball clubs, and I, I believe that we have a, a potential to be here uh, this way at this level in Pittsburgh this year. There are certain ball clubs that if you don't do that, they're so good that they're going to blow people out. Like, you're going to win some games by two or three, four touchdowns. Like, there's going to be some nights that you're going to take the field and you're going to be the best ball club on the bar none. Yeah. And there's no question in your kids' minds that, hey, we're the better team this week. But in order to get where you want to go, if your goal is week 16, you know, if your goal is we're going to win the state championship – then you've got to do something to those guys every week to make them compete. Yeah. Because it was just like what we had, and and Pittsburgh's going to have it this year, where there's going to be weeks where the best team you're going to play against is yourself. Yeah. Like the best team you're going to see. We used to joke when I was there uh, at Harmony, we can take your playbook and run it better than you can, and we can take our playbook and run it better than we, you know, you yeah. can, and we're still going to beat you. So we knew the best team that our guys are going to face this week is our scout team. Like, yeah. like that's far none, and that's where Pittsburgh is. We have the kind of talent, where and the kind of expectation where that's it. Yeah, like there's going to be some weeks that our guys will take the practice field, and the best team they'll see all week will be Monday through Wednesday. It won't be on Friday night. Yeah, you know, across from. Well, and the danger of having the kind of mindset where you only 
every week in and week out, you're like, oh, we're the best team no, no matter what. You know, you build that team, then gets what we call the big head. You know, and they get yeah, yeah, they get puffed up. And I've seen games where uh, they've gone in with that mindset and underestimated the team, and the team that they underestimated ended up beating them, running them over. Because they came up, well, this team isn't that good. You know, we're the best team. They had, they didn't come in thinking, okay, this is a competition. We have to, you know, this game belongs to anybody. But they came in and, with, you know, okay, we're just going to go and we're going to run the score up. And that's not what happened. So I've seen teams that have gotten puffed up and underestimated teams and have been shocked at the end of the game. Yeah. Well, I think that's where Coach Abraham has a good a good job of balancing confidence and arrogance. Right. You want right. a guy to be a little cocky. You don't want him to be arrogant. And there's a difference. People mm-hmm. associate in sports cockiness with arrogance. There's not. Cockiness goes out there and says, "Okay, we dare you to bring your A game. We're going to bring ours. Now come beat us." Yeah. That's fine. You want that. You want that little bit of an edge when you're playing a home game. You're like, "Okay, we play here. You don't." Come into town, give us your best shot, because we're ready. That's okay. Where where teams go off the deep end is when they when they do show up and go, oh, we don't have to do anything. We just gotta just sit the ball out there. And they're gonna lay down and yeah. just because we showed up. Well, that's not that's not reality. Like just because we showed up doesn't mean that they're just gonna go, oh well, oh those guys showed up. We're not gonna play today. Right. It doesn't work that way. And um. Like you said, having that, having that, you know, confidence versus arrogance, and knowing the difference makes a world of a world of a difference as well. But also, it's realizing, hey, this ain't it. We may win this game, but we have next week. You know, yeah. it's just like he said. You know, when you ask the question, and y'all hear this as well. Is game by game. This, I mean, that's how you prepare is game by game. You take it one game at a time. Each team is going to be different with different expectations, but you still prepare for that game as if, you know, with the mindset that, hey, we still have to beat this opponent in order to get to the next and know how to and then get to the next. And then when playoffs come, we have been we will be have been prepared for what's to come because we did not settle, we didn't become complacent, but we prepared each and every week as if, you know, this is a whole new game. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a whole new team. It doesn't matter how good we are or how good we were last week, this is a whole new team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? So having that mindset, you know, you build that you all, you build that confidence, but you also build that uh that strength and that mentality that hey we're good. You know we can be the best that we can be, but that mean that don't mean we won't get our uh, socks knocked off, you know, against this team. Like well, I said, I've seen that. Friday night in Texas, you can get beat. Yeah. I don't care who you're playing, you can lose the ball. <laughs> you say that, and well, it, it, it's true. As we know, there's some teams that you know. Now that there's some teams that can't beat a blind man in a phone booth, but yeah. <laughs> but that that's. Texas football, man, and that's why I still say, you know, it's the greatest Texas football is you can't compare it to any other, you know, any other 
Because you can go anywhere in the state and find a good football team. They might not be ranked. You know, they're like a good yeah, they're a good yeah, they're a good football team. You can go anywhere in the state and see some good football. Um, but man, I, I I am I'm excited, you know, to to be able to follow you know the Pittsburgh Pirates and, and keep up with these other teams, but especially the Pirates to see how far they've come in the span of two a year or two, mm-hmm. almost two years, because the mentality and the culture has completely shifted. You know, and, and and I give that you know props to you know Coach Abram. Uh, yeah, and it's, the the man, you know, being a man of God, you know, it's evident that you know he's there and he's there serving, not only coaching but serving. Uh, he's doing it with a purpose, mm-hmm. and it's evident uh, on and off the field, you know. And so, you know, me being a uh, uh, from Pittsburgh, you know, it's my hometown, and seeing Pittsburgh football, you know, me seeing this now at the age I am now, you know, it's a blessing, you know. Yeah. But um, all I say about now, it's just kind of in that is, man, you know, if you're a Pirate fan and you're in Pittsburgh, man, get on board, you know. I'm not telling you just to get cocky about it, but, you know, get on board, man, because show show up and support our, our boys, man. You know, they love when, you know, the student section and the fans are rowdy and you know get loud. They they love it. They they expect that and they need it. So you know let's let's just show up this year. Let's be present for them this year. So let's look at this group that's coming back. Yeah. So we have uh, a total of twelve returning starters from last mm-hmm. year's ball club. Yep. Yeah. We have Tyler Kaisen, uh-huh. a senior. You have Alexis Reyes, who's a senior, who's the assumed starting quarterback. Yes. Uh, you have Jalen Holloway. We're going to talk about that young man here in a minute. Yes. He yeah, will blow your socks off as a sophomore running back. Uh, then you have Christian Layton, who was a senior. He'll play some receiver. He'll play some defensive back. Uh, then you have uh, Cameron Honey- uh, Honeycutt, also known as Cam to us. Yes. He's a senior. He'll be playing safety. Which was a position change for him. Yes, because last year he played. Uh, he was a cornerback. But but I think he'll play very well in our three four defense playing right, safety right, ring right. plays. Uh, I, I'm excited to see that shift for him. Yeah. Uh, then you have uh, Jake Neely. He'll be a senior. He's a running back. He kind of had a coming out party in a couple of games. They uh-huh. got hurt in practice. Yeah. Wasn't able to continue on the uh, varsity squad. But I'm excited to see what he's going to bring the table in the backfield for his senior year. Then you've got uh, Robert Miles Jr., who is also a junior. He, <laughs> I got confused writing the show. <laughs> Putting that in, he'll be playing running back. You have Edwin Lopez. He'll be a senior. He'll be on the offensive line. You have Keldrick Henderson. He's a senior. He'll play some center, some guard. Uh-huh. Kind of get moved around out there. Uh, you'll have Nick Gill, uh, who is a senior. Uh, playing guard. Yep. Uh, then you have Nathan Thompson, another senior. He'll be playing tackle. And then you'll have Ariel Brasino, who's a senior. He'll play some center. He can kick a little bit. We had to use him yeah. uh, in some emergency yeah. situations at kicker. So you have 12 returning players. Now, why is that so important to me? Uh, number one, because of the experience. Right. You've right. got guys who now this is their second year in the system. 
in that 3-4 defense, which was not the defense of the previous uh, coaching staff. They were in a 4-3 set, completely different looks, different schemes, that type thing. And then the big difference is that that offense. You go from a a sling it, run it, get it, spread, to we're going to get the slot team, we're going to run the ball down your throat, come and get it. Put 11 in the box, let's play football. So now you've got that second year where these guys now have had that full offseason. They've had a full season, a full offseason of this stuff. Yeah. And now they kind of understand what the process looks like offensively. Because it really showed the first few games of the season where these guys were still expecting that big throw down the field. You know, we're going to go get 30 yards on this play. That's not designed. Now, I've said this to you. I've said it many times. There's no offense with a 30-yard play. (laughs) It doesn't exist. If a 30-yard play happens in the spread, it's because it was a 10- or 15-yard route that turned into a 25- or 30-yard route. Yeah. Just because of athleticism and placement of the ball and and the defense. But it wasn't designed that way, right? Right. And, And so, really, that was a false thing that was created in the mind of some of the players last year where they were looking for that. But I understand it because that's what they had seen. Right. So now you've got a, a bunch of guys who are going to come in understanding we've just got to be patient. We're going to put our best guys on the field, put our best guys in the backfield, and we're just going to line up and run it right at you. I'm excited to see that experience kind of play out yeah. uh, as the season goes along. Now, also, during that, on that you, you mentioned experience. Is Most of those guys we just named off last year had a position change. From the prior season, um, for instance, Nick Gould was a middle linebacker. That's right. He I was the middle linebacker, that. starting right beside uh, Christian Bates, mm-hmm. and got moved to guard mid-season. You know, um, and and so most of these guys had a position change during the season. Uh, Keldrick Henderson started out at center, got moved to guard, and so not only were they Experiencing a scheme change of scheme on offense and defense, but they also experienced a change of position. Uh, now, Cam, well, I know it's Cam. Um, you know, that's, that's my guy. Cam played uh, a little bit of offense, and but he was predominantly a, a, a quarterback last season. This season, he'll be playing safety. Now, why that? I believe that's a good idea, is because you know. He has speed, he has length, and he has range. And so, and he's a very hard worker and hard player. And so, I think with him being able to see the field uh, and see the offense and the defense, he'll be able to make some really good plays uh, throughout in the air. Uh, But to also watch out for is his speed. He has crazy recovering speed. Um... You know, he's one of the, the fastest guys, you know, on our track, on a track team, you know, runs track. So his speed is what I would call a superpower for him, a very high ability. And so I would, you know, that's something to watch. And I'm excited to see how it goes for him because, you know, moving from corner to safety, a lot of people would think, well, that's not that much difference. Well, it's a world of a difference because you go from covering uh, one person to having to look out over the whole field and try and read the offense and say, okay, this is what needs to happen. Right. And then you're picking up 
where your corner may need help. So you're having to read a total defense, not just start or cover and stay with one person. Yeah, the, the reads are different. Um, the expectation of the position's a little different. You know, yeah. you're not in one-on-one coverage. Uh, you're not stretching the field all the time. But a, a, a kid with his athleticism uh, and his just football IQ, that's the kind of kid you want to move. You know, like, yeah. like you can look at that and go, okay, we feel good about that position change for that player. There's some guys who who you can't do that with. Uh, they learn one position, they get locked in, that's what they're going to yeah. do. And that's another thing with this Pittsburgh squad is they've been very resilient throughout these position changes. You know, yeah. very resilient. Uh, and, and a lot of that comes with that, like I said, that second year of experience. Right. And so, just like you said, they've had a full summer, a full year to work out this scheme and to uh, to get familiar with it, more familiar with it, and comfortable. And so, I mean, it, I'm ready to see, um, you know, how it moves. Because I feel that this year it'll move a lot more fluidly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially early on in the season. Yeah. I think you're going to see that, that, that they, these pre-district games are not going to look anything like the pre-district games last year. I think you're going to see a big difference. But the, the other big thing about all these returning players is not only do they have the experience, but now they've got the buy-in. Uh, we were the end of the season as the best 4-8 team in the state of Texas, bar none. Yeah. We were the only 4-8 team that everybody said, we don't want to play them. Like We hope that they lose before we have to play them. Right. Because you could see the the kids started believing in what was being put out there. They believed in the system. They believed in, in everything that was going on. Right. And they saw the results. They started to see this can win ball games. This can wear a team out. This can push them to the brink where they don't want to play football anymore. Right. Um, and, and once the kids saw that, they're like, hey, this is going to work. Yeah. Like, this is what we've got to do if we want to be successful, and we're going to do whatever's asked yeah. of us. Well, you say, you know, they started to see what could wear a team out. If you were at that playoff game last uh, last year against uh, uh, Quinlan, Quinlan Ford. Oh, Quinlan Ford. Um, well, and Brownsboro. But I want to talk more about Quinlan Ford because Quinlan Ford coming into that game were a powerhouse running team. They ran out of the slot tee just like we did, but they were a powerhouse. Supposedly. Yeah. And we could, we could debate that. Like, that was debated last year. Yeah. But but the point I'm making is they were seen as that coming into that game. Oh, yeah. And by the end of that game that night, they were worn out, completely worn out. And it was a that was as close a game as I've ever seen. I mean, the score came wound it out being 35-34. They lost Pittsburgh lost by a point. Literally, I mean, a, a point shouldn't have shouldn't have yeah shouldn't have barring some calls and whatever, but. Uh, Some timeouts that were allowed to be taken. That, yeah. That, that whole deal. Anyways. Yeah, but we've seen how resilient that team had gotten. The defense never gave up. They never laid down. The offense never laid down. Even until, even up to the last seconds of the game. They tried. Yes. And, and so when you talk about, you know, they, they are resilient. And if anything that I can say about this Pittsburgh team last year, even uh, last year's team and this team, is that they're resilient. You know, they're eager and they're ready to learn. They're willing to learn. And that and came get better. as they 
started buying into the program. Right, right. So you could see that as the year went on. That okay, right. now they're starting to believe that this may be successful. Yeah. Okay. Now, talking about success, let's build off of that right there. Now, I want to talk about this our uh, sophomore running back that we you know, mm-hmm. uh, Jalen Holloway. Uh, was a freshman last year. Came in uh, towards the end of the season, the last two games of the season against Spring Hill and Liberty Allo, and the kid put up some numbers. Now, and in the Spring Hill game, you know, he kind of he didn't struggle, but he didn't also play that much. They didn't put him into the second half, uh, but he still did good. He still had uh, two touchdowns that game, um, and that was the the you know the opening party for him. Okay, I'm like, who's this kid? Yeah. You know, where did he come from? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and for me, working in the, in the school, I've had him in class. I didn't, quiet kid, good kid, uh, great attitude. Um, never expected him to be the type of ball player that he is. No, I think I'd had him, like, once before seeing him play. Yeah. I was like, wait, is that the kid that... Right. And so, you know, like, then, you know... After the Spring Hill game, the, the Liberty Allo game, he just breaks out for 250-plus yards touchdowns just out of nowhere. Oh, he took it too, Liberty Allo. Yeah. Like, he dominated them. Yeah. So, when we talk about his stats, you touched on that. Yeah. He played four games, varsity games, had seven touchdowns and 450 yards. So, he averaged over 100 yards a game and almost two touchdowns a game. As a freshman. As a freshman in a coming-out party late in the year. This isn't like... Early in the year stuff. This is late in the year yeah. when it counted. Yeah. When it starts to get tough, you know. In playoff games. Yes. I mean, you don't see that a lot. As a freshman. As a freshman. You don't see that a lot, you know. Um, Pittsburgh has had their first share of players who have started on varsity their freshman year. Uh, Cole Wessel played varsity all throughout his high school. Yes, he is from Pittsburgh. Right yeah. Way. By the way, yeah. Cole Wessel played varsity football from, since his freshman year. All the way up to his senior year. Kendall played. Yeah, uh, Kendall. Kendall Wright. Um, these guys, I mean, you, they've had, Pittsburgh has had their instances of this kind of, uh, these kind of players. But as of now, man, you don't, coming in late as a freshman on varsity, with the kind of stats that he put up, man, I'm excited to see what he's going to do this season as a, a, full a full year, yeah. you know? Uh, and, and I think, that, that that also was part of the the thing too with him is there there the coaches had confidence. Mm-hmm. You, know, you don't you don't call a guy like that up because those last two the first two games he played we had to win. Like, right. like the, we you know, if we were gonna continue playing football for the rest of the year, you had to win those ball games. Right. There was no question about that because we had just beat North Lamar, you know, and that was the that was the ticket to get into the playoffs. Then that next week, we had to beat Spring Hill. And that yeah. was the first game he played. So you're right. Yeah, The coaches had to have had some kind of confidence to say, this kid can make it happen. Somehow, yeah. some way or another, with our other backs in the team, he can fit somewhere. And he can, he can, uh, we can make it work. And he can do some, he can do some, man, do some damage. Well, he, he fits the offense perfectly. Yeah, like his style. He's of a pure runner. Uh, yeah, his style of running, his his uh, physique, all of that. 
uh, lends itself to a power running scheme. Yeah. You know, where you're just going downhill and going to be yeah. a big bruiser. I remember this uh, against the, and I don't know if you remember, but I remember this against the uh, Liberty Allo game. When he first, his first start, uh, his first touch, mm-hmm. he fumbled. Yeah. They hit him, and he fumbled. That next bout, he never fumbled again. He ended up, he had some strong carries. Then he ended up, like I said before, he broke out 250 yarders. 250-plus yarder touchdowns. Open. He open. And so that sh- that right there showed me this kid's mentality, he's built different. Yeah. You know, because some, some people, you know, first, you know, some players first start on varsity. You get popped real good. You fumble. I want out, coach. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, this ain't yeah, this ain't what I this ain't what I signed up for. But no, he didn't. He picked himself up, kept moving. You know, ended up with a hundred plus yard game that you know that night, and then on and so forth. So, man, I mean, as a and this is his sophomore year. Um, Lord Willie has two more seasons. You know, as he grow, I'm excited to follow this kid and see where he goes. This season and then then on, so uh, as as well as some of his other classmates, you know, because that our freshman team last year was really good, really really good. Yeah, Uh, and he was the starting running back for them. And so we were just talking about if he had a 451 yards for varsity, just imagine how many yards he had. He, I'm gonna say he had over a thousand yards total for the season. I would too. I mean, I you know I don't know what kind of. Which is something we're also going to get better at is watching some of our sub varsities. But we admit that's our downfall. But, um, I, you know, I, like I said, I don't know what kind of uh, numbers he had, but you have to imagine they were pretty yeah. good. I mean, because so, if he did that with varsity. I mean, so there's a lot of talent coming back. Yes, too. a lot, yeah. A lot of talent. I mean, you just look at not just him. I mean, Cam's a great football player. Uh, Tyleek is. There's been a lot of talk about Lexus. I, I mean, I'm eager to see it. Yeah. Um, I think he's the big wild card in the offense. Uh, what's he gonna do? How's he gonna do it? Right. Um, as we've seen before, yo, because we watched him uh, kind of as a sophomore. You know, uh, he has an arm. You know, he can throw it, but now we're in a different system. Yeah, it's, it's a different expectation. Uh, for he's a great runner, though. Yeah, he's good on his feet. So, just like I said, he could be a wild card. He could be a wild card. Uh, just looking, Christian Layton, we know he's a great player. Yeah, um, Keldrick Henderson. Yeah, and Nick you know Newell. that he's going to, you know that uh, uh, Keldrick's going to make a big difference on the offensive line. Yeah, now he's someone uh, I would count as a leader. He has a lot of passion. For the game, as we know, he doesn't like to lose. Right. He doesn't. I mean, but he has passion for the game. He has passion for um, wanting to be good. He doesn't. Uh, he, last year, he showed a little bit of emotion, you know, during the hard time of the season. But as the year got on, he became better. He, you've seen his attitude changing during the interview. I, I, we also have an interview with him, uh, him and Cam, that will be be out there as well. Um, you know, he was the more talkative one about you know what's to be expected and what changed and what to look forward to uh, for the team, you know, in the mm-hmm. season. 
And so I'm you really show he grew as a leader. Yeah, so I'm I'm ready to see him uh and see how he's gonna uh handle I guess, you know, if he's gonna be switching in and out between center and guard or how that's gonna work him and Ariel, how they're gonna do that. Um but I'm ready to see that as well. Because uh, Keldrick, man, like you said, it was a lot of growth. He, he's gone through a lot of growth. I, I've seen it um, throughout last year and uh, looking forward to seeing it this season. So a lot coming back on the Pittsburgh. A lot of a lot of things to be excited about. We'll, we'll know a little bit more after this Friday yeah. uh, when we scrimmage uh, Tyler Chapel Hill, who's the number three uh, preseason ranked team in the state for 4A Division One. A state championship caliber team in their own right. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and scrimmages are scrimmages. I understand, but it does kind of help you gauge where some guys are at. Right. Uh, what are they going to do when somebody other than their scout team is lined up on the other side of the ball? Yeah. You know, ready to go. Uh, I believe that scrimmage is going to be in Chapel Hill. Yes. Uh, yes. So you know, be sure if you can travel to Chapel Hill. Is it a five o'clock scrimmage? Uh, I think it's seven thirty because you know we have the oh we have school that's right yeah uh it's seven thirty uh that evening I believe uh freshman JV everybody else will be okay there. everybody's gonna scream. yeah so so just be looking for more information on that I'm sure it's gonna be up on Facebook yes uh, yes uh, different places but but if you can you know come out uh, and watch that because I think you're gonna see some of how the puzzle pieces are going to fit together with some of this talent uh, that we have coming our way. So let's kind of look at the rest of our district. Yeah. Uh, we have an interesting district, I think, on the top end. Uh, and then you have your your other guys. <laughs> I, I don't know how else to put it. It just is what it is until people, um, certain teams prove otherwise. Starting with Gilbert. I mean, you know, Gilbert back-to-back years makes the state championship game and loses. First time in school history they made it to back-to-back. Yeah. Um, lose both of them. One of them in a historical fashion uh, in which Carthage just absolutely dismembers them. Then they lose to a very good China Spring squad led by a senior quarterback who could just do a, whatever yeah. he wanted. Um, that game last year was in Gilmer. We had every opportunity. If you go back, you look at the film, you watch that game, we had every opportunity to win that ball game. Exactly. And I truly believe if we would have matched up with them later on in the playoffs, if we beat Quinlan Ford, we would have beat Pleasant Grove, and we would have played Gilmer again, and it would have been on. Yeah. I really do believe that. Well, Gilmer is, as I've, I've said before, Gilmer just, they freaking shoot out talent. I mean, it's not been a year, even in some of the years where they weren't as good, that they didn't have talent. Well, a lot of that is because the people who are good don't leave. Yeah. So you have this you have this constant flow from these families that are yeah. talented families. That's the difference to me between Gilmer and some of the other towns that, and we're going to talk about Dangerfield here in a little bit, but for me, that's the difference between a, a Gilmer and a Dangerfield who, who who does have some dominance still. But but one thing that you see, uh, and you and I have seen, especially the last few years with Dangerfield, is a, is a, 
a, a, a steady decline. I mean, it's slow. Yeah. But you, you're starting to see it. And the reason is that Gilmer has, from a town standpoint, has done a good job of allowing businesses and things to come in that creates jobs so people don't have to leave Gilmer to go and do something different. Right. Like, they're able to stay here, live here, buy homes here, produce talent, and what that does is that creates an effect where it's constant. You're right. churning out these guys who, you, they're coming from talented families, and that's what you see with Gilmer. I mean, uh, one of their star players is a Fluellen. You see a Fluellen every that's year. Every year on Gilmer, at least one or two. Uh, then you have Tennyson, Tennyson's brother coming back yeah. uh, as their starting quarterback. There's talk that he's better than his brother. I, I know that there are some aspects where he is. He is more, in my opinion, just watching him. He's more athletic uh, yeah. in certain aspects. Now, we can debate, and we, we touched on this last week with the whole Lamar Jackson thing. <clears throat> you can debate whether he's a better quarterback. My opinion, neither one of them were great quarterbacks. They were great athletes who could make things happen that allowed the team to be successful. There's right. a difference. But you have families like that that are in Gilmer. They'll always be there. And so every few years, you're going to churn out talent. I mean, it just is what it is. Yeah. And because of that, winning breeds winning, mm-hmm. right? And so that's going to carry over. Success brings in people who want to be a part of the program, so you're going to get those people who do move into Gilmer. Um, and, and they're going to want to put their kids in a position to be successful moving forward. That's the interesting thing for me this year with Gilmore. I do think that they're in a little bit of a rebuild year. They're a little bit younger than the last two squads have been. Yeah. Um, they had the, the difference between this year's squad and last year's squad. So in 2020, yeah. we went and watched them play. You know, that they, uh, we, they played um, Cato Mills. Cato Mills. That team was loaded. Yeah. That younger team was good. Like, if if Carthage hadn't have been on the other end, they would have won state that year. They were that good. But what, and they lost several players, but the reason they were able to return as a state championship caliber team was that they had enough bridge players. So they had enough juniors on that squad that, that kind of carried it over. Yeah. This year, you have less of that. You have fewer of those carryover type players, which will make it interesting. Yeah. Well, that's also, uh, it's one of the things why I say, you know, Gilmer has my respect as if they have built a dynasty and have been able to maintain that dynasty throughout the years, uh, given the players that they have. But you mentioned that, you know, the families, you know, and the Fluellens, man, that year when they played, uh, in 2020, the, uh, when they went to state, that team, they had, uh, uh, Dylan Fluellen, who was Rowan's, who was Rowan's oldest brother, older brother, um, and even years prior to that, they had, I mean, just Fluellen after Fluellen, and then, and so, you like you said, you have those families who are able to stay in the community and continue to play, you know, have kids that play, um, and I, I think, man, that's that's just the the greatness of it. Because not not only are you building a legacy uh, or a name for yourself, but you're also building a help build a, a legacy and a dynasty 
you know, for that school. Uh, and Gilmer has been notorious. They've been notorious for it, you know. And so they're they're no less than what maybe twenty minutes away from Pittsburgh down, you know. It's, it's about twenty minutes. Yeah, about a twenty minute drive from Pittsburgh. And so we've been able to witness this greatness, you know, coming throughout in and out through through Gilmer, uh, even with the coaches, uh, with uh, Jeff Trailer and his staff, and then now with Alan Metzl and the staff that he has. And so Gilmer, being our district is. And with the team that we have this year, and the team that they're going to have, it's definitely I expect it to be a great show. Um, and like you said, we could. I, I do believe that we would have beat them had we seen them again in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It would have been a great game to watch. Um, you would have been playing them somewhere other than Gilmer. That yeah. would have been the difference, right? But man, it's just. That's what always has amazed me about Gilmer is that they they're constantly just spitting out players. You know, they're con- it's not it hasn't been a year that they haven't had any talent. Well, and, and again, that just speaks to the continuity of the program. Yeah, I mean, there's just a lot of continuity there, um, and a lot of I mean, just pride. You know, it, yeah. it's 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 a thing where you want to say I was a Gilmer Buckeye, I was a poor of that ball club. You know. We, we did something. Yeah, you know, we carried the the torch. Right. and that's you know that's the gist of this sports show. Our sports show is that we highlight towns like that because you know winning makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. It's not just within the the the, the players or the school district, but it's also as town as a whole because you see the like you said the pride that the town has in the football team, you know. Whenever they walk into any stadium, there's they have a huge following and pride. That they're, they're, you know their fans show up, everybody show up because they they have built this um, dynasty of just winning. Regardless, we're going to win when we step into the stadium. People are going to know that the Gilmer Buckeyes have shown up, and now you have to play us for four quarters. But this is another thing for four quarters I've noticed. Uh, and it may be a trick of theirs. Uh, I don't know how they do it or why they do it. But the first half, if you ever watched a Gilmer Buckeye game or have been to a Gilmer Buckeye game, you see them you play, see them play in the first half. They don't look as flashy. They don't look as together. They look kind yeah. of, you know, just like they're barely, you know, getting there, scratching the surface. But best, uh, best believe, second half they come out and they'll run the score up on them. Oh, they've been known to do that for. I've years. never, I've always, I've noticed that correlation as I've as I've watched Gilmer play. That first half, they'll let you do something. They'll make you think that you've done something. But that second half, you got to be geared up. That's why I said you have. Gilmer is a team, along as I, I, I as, as as I believe with Carthage, um, who we're not going to talk about right now, uh, but. They're a team that you have to play them for quarters because if they give you some slack in the first half, or if they show seem to show that they have given you slack in the first half, you can't go in at halftime saying we got them. You you got to run yeah. with it. You, you, you got to yeah. To you you got to play them for all four quarters till the <laughs> until that final buzzer. <laughs> it, you know, you have to play them every down, every second. Well, a lot of that. 
two things as far as that goes. Uh, one, it speaks to their mindset. Those kids never believe that they're out of a ball game. They, yeah. they believe that as long as there's a football out there, they have a chance. Uh, barring the, I mean, dismantling that was the state championship a few years ago. Yeah. But, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's of historical precedence that we may never see again. Um, they don't ever believe that they're out of a ball game. And two, it's just the kind of offense that they run. I yeah. mean, they have they have different things. Uh, Coach Metzel does a very good job of mixing it up, uh, knowing when to throw in some some different type looks um, from his his uh, run game, even into some of his passing progressions. Yeah, he, he just does a good job. Uh, he's very good at it. So Gilmer, we you know they are what they are. You know what you're getting coming into that. Now here's the here's the one that I I call the wild card. That's Pleasant Grove. Mm. Are they still on the level of greatness, or are they starting to come back down? Um, it seemed to me that the last couple of years we've seen them kind of begin to come back down to what we knew kind of Pleasant Grove to be, uh, which was a good ball club, but not a great. One. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think. That you're starting to see some of that come back down. Coach Gibson still does a good job. He, he's a good coach. Uh, he, he's done a tremendous job in that community, in that town, of setting an expectation of success. He brought in a wing T offense, did a very good job implementing it over there, <clears throat> won some state titles, competed for others. He, he's done a good job, but. Again, it goes back to what towns are growing. So, Gilmer has sustained success because they keep feeding the monster. Yeah. Pleasant Grove, unfortunately for them, doesn't have that. And what we're seeing, uh, sadly for Coach Gibson, I've met him, he's a good guy. But some of that town's just not there. Yeah. Well, a lot of that is you had players, some players from... Uh, on and off the record that had came from Libriallo that transferred over. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, also from within that program, you just had players that was already there. It's sort of like the Pittsburgh situation where you seen that one scheme wasn't working so you come with a new one. Mm-hmm. You know, that fits the program, that fits the kids, the players better. Uh so that's what happened with Pleasant Grove is they seen what was working and what wasn't working. You know, they had run out for years. They had run out of the spread. And they realized, okay, this isn't working. I believe like 90% of the team yeah. are right here. So I believe in, in 26, uh, 2015, mm-hmm. they had started to change it up. And so that's when they had, you know, gotten, they had started to get good. Because I remember that was when uh, Pittsburgh, Bach was first year at Pittsburgh. And we played them at the beginning of the season. And we blew them out. You know, they were just getting the getting that system running. But when they went to playoffs as well as us. Yeah. And that was the year they almost beat Gilmer over in Mount Pleasant. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the game that it came down to, I believe, like the last few seconds or last minute of the game. And Gilmer ended up winning. But they were just like, you know, us. They had found a system that worked and they started to believe in it. And so they took that and they ran with it and they won a couple of state championships. 
but it's just as you said, over the years we've seen the constant. It's been like almost a constant decline, and the players that you know that they've had. You don't, you know, they were blessed to have some, uh, a couple of good running backs, even defensive players and offensive linemen. This, you know, I'm not saying that they're not a good team, but it's kind of to see where they will, you know, where they'll be this this year because. Um, you know they don't have those same type of caliber of players. You know, like Landon Jackson. I think Landon Jackson's brother mate still plays. I think uh, actually he does. Um, he has a brother that plays. I mean, he's a good football player. Yeah, but I mean, there has there has been a, a, a decline, but I believe it's just they're having to work with what they have once again. Yeah, you know, it, it, again, it's it's kind of. That question, okay, are they finally coming back down to earth? Uh, back down to where yeah, the, they've been. The I mean, humble and, state that they started. And, and and sometimes that just happens. It yeah. just you know, it just kinda is what it is. So we'll see when we play them. Uh, I believe that game's back in Pleasant Grove again. Yeah. Unfortunately, yeah. but but we'll see. Then you have Spring Hill. My question with them is, are there internal problems? You had a Playoff caliber team. Yeah, I, they you can't they argue fell that. short. Yeah, they had the talent, in my opinion. They they were a playoff caliber team, and the athletic director leaves to become an offensive line coach at Gilmer. Yeah, why? There's got to be something to that. I don't have any inside information on that. Uh, I'd like to get some. Maybe talk to a couple people as the season gets going. Yeah, but. With them, you do have some talent there, but it's just a question of, you know, can this new coaching staff, what's the plan? What are they doing offensively? What's that going to look like? I, I think you're going to see another year from Spring Hill where they show flashes yeah. and they ultimately fall short. Yeah. Uh, most confusing thing about them is they don't have a steady offense. I mean, I could understand they, they they have good running backs, but it's almost as if they don't use them enough. They They're, don't have a point. It, it yeah. looks like they don't come into a game with a clear cut offensive identity of what yeah. they want to do. Um, they have an uh, I think I, I can't think of his name. His, his last name is Powers. Uh, he was a freshman last a freshman or sophomore last year that he's coming back. I know the brother was the running back. Uh, you know the one that. Big running back that they had it was mm-hmm. really good. Um, um, so yeah, he's he's coming back on defense. And so I mean, they like you said, they are a playoff caliber team. It's just with the coaching staff, we'll get it together and try to figure out something that works for them and make it solid. You know, set in stone. Um. Who else? Who's after them? After Spring Hill, we have uh, Liberty Island. Liberty Island. That that you want to talk about? What I've got written down by them is just uncapitalized talent. They have some players. <laughs> yeah. That, you know, and, and every year Liberty Island is going to have players. You know, we talked before the show. They we played Van. They played Van. Van took it to us. That was just a weird game for us. Yeah. It just yeah. was what it was. They played Van close, and everybody, well, how does that happen? I don't know. I haven't seen the film. It has to something to do with the way that they matched up defensively against that quarterback that Van had. So, having said that, 
there's clear evidence that there's some talent in Liberty Ilo, but every year it's a question of can you just capitalize on what you've got? Right. And this is a tough district for them. Yeah. Well, you go back, go back, you know, some years. They had a really good team that uh, I think they went to state. Did no, 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 no. Semifinals. Semifinals. Yeah, they, they lost. Ended up losing. Uh, but that that team was really good. But like you said, that was a team that capitalized on the talent that they had. Um, you see glimpses of that with them, but it's it's mis it's also misplaced talent rather, other than just not just capitalizing on it, but misplaced uh, because they were re- they were really good uh, basketball team. They have a good they had a good baseball team, mm-hmm. but the question rises, you know. What's going on with the football team? You know, and so I'm, I want to see uh, what's wh- how how they'll match up this season. You know, with us and then the other teams. You know, where they'll go. And then you know, I don't have much to say on Liberty Island. I don't. They they have the ability, just like Spring Hill, to be a, a really good team. Uh, they are they are a, cal- a playoff caliber team, but it's just like nothing's really set in stone there. Well, and they're, they're, again, what is, what is the expectation? Like, that that's my question with a town like Liberty Island. Like, what do you expect out of your football team? Has it gotten to where we're okay, third or fourth in district, let's play a couple of playoff games, see where it goes. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and that's going to kind of dictate how your season's going to go, and it's going to dictate the direction of your program as a whole, too. Yeah. Uh, uh, lastly, it will be, I don't want to say certainly not least, uh, but North Lamar. North Lamar. There is a town that is a baseball town. It just is what it is. Yeah, North Lamar, you don't have much to say on them. They're able to hold on to the ball and at least keep the clock running. Yeah. I, I'll put it that way. Uh, so there's kind of our district. I, I really think um, that moving forward, Gilmer Gilmer's clearly going to be our competition for a district championship. Mm-hmm. That's just all there is to it, in my opinion. I think that's going to be the district championship last game of the regular season game of the year. Uh, right before the playoffs. And that's when you want to play for a district championship. You know, it's kind of humdrum to win the district championship like after the first game of the year. Yeah. Or, or district game, you know, because then the rest of the district, you're like, okay, let's go play the rest of the slappies and then go play in the playoffs. <laughs> like, yeah. it just, you know, uh, and, and it, it, it just is what it is sometimes because of the way that Yoel draws up the schedule. 
but I'm excited uh, for our district uh, and to see. I mean, you, you've got some potential in our district to, to not only have us playing deep into the playoffs, but maybe some of our others advancing a couple of three rounds. I think it'll be good. Uh, just kind of talking about some of the other teams around the area, uh, you have Dangerfield, who I think has a chance to be state champions in 3A Division II this year. Uh, just looking at where they're at, where some of the other schools are at. Now, clearly, Dangerfield's a town that as a whole is in decline. There's no new business, none of that. But I think they have a shot to, to maybe get one more state championship out of this thing. Dangerfield is another town, as you mentioned about Gilmer, that you know they have a family-based uh, identity with their team. Um, and you haven't really seen too much of that, you know, in these past in the past years. Now, in the past, it's been, uh, you know, the Mims. You know, yeah. you had the Mims, uh, David Mims, David Mims the uh, second, Edwin Mims, who's now a coach, a, a coach over at DCAB, mm-hmm. in DCAB right now. Uh, Ruben Mims and uh, Denzel Mims, who plays for the New York Jets. So yeah. you had these guys. Um, you had these this family based, and then you know my family, you know the Herndons, you know. Uh, and so, but you, you see, you've seen that trickle out throughout the years. You know they don't have any more. I don't even know. Is there a Mims on the ball? I don't. Team? I don't think so. Not anymore. I mean, you know that I never thought I would see a day where a Mims didn't but, play Dangerfield football. There's not even a, a Herndon anymore, really either. No, I mean. It, you know, but I, I do think that because of the way that things are lining up in three division two this year, they have a real shot to win a state championship. Yeah. They have enough talent coming back. Everybody else is kinda of down. There is Gunner to contend with, um, who's always gonna bring a very solid ball club. But I I think that this may be their one last chance. You know, you get one yeah. more go at it, go win a state championship and then, you know, whatever happens happens from yeah. there. Uh, it just is what it is, sadly. And that, that's the sad thing about some of these programs that we've known for so long. Yeah. Is that now, it's not just about the program, it's about these towns. Uh, there's not much to them anymore. No. You know, and, and, and that's that's a conversation within itself. For years, football was enough to keep these towns alive. But I, I, I'm starting to see more and more where the end is near. Yeah. For for that kind of an idea. You right. know, where football's enough to keep it alive. I mean there's just too many too many options now, too many places to go, um, get employment, send your kids to a good school, let them play, you know, football or right. other sports. Right. right. And yeah. that that's hap- that's what's happening. Dangerfield's uh, a poster child for yeah. that. I mean, you know, I think they may be the first major football program powerhouse that we see go down because of that not because of anything other than the town is the town not is going not anywhere it. yeah and, and like I said it's sad because to know the danger field that was now the danger field that is and again you know I think this might be their one one last ride off into the sunset let's see if we can milk another state championship while we still got kids here yeah you know, while, we, while we still got the talent um then there's Wascom, who the past two years has been the downfall of the Dangerfield Tigers. <laughs> Wascom, but now it's interesting. 
Whitney Keeling has left town. He's the one that brought all the success into Wascom, brought state championships with him. He's gone. Now, they brought back Greg Pearson, who had been their defensive coordinator. Uh, he had gone to Brownsboro, been an AD for a year or two, retired, and now is back at Wascom as a retired rehire as their um, uh, athletic director. But still questions. Uh, because Coach Keeling, and we're going to touch on him here in a minute, but Coach Keeling did take the starting quarterback with him. Uh, they took a running back. I think there was one other player, if I remember, I think it was three total starters, key starters that he took. He took the entire coaching staff. <laughs> I mean, you know, th- th- there's a lot of missing pieces yeah. in Wascom. I read um, earlier in the week where their numbers are down for turnout because of all these questions. I mean, Coach Pearson, from what I understand, when we played against them, Coach Pearson already left. But from what I understand, um, Coach Pearson was somebody that, that everybody liked, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and all of those things. But that's still not Whitney Keel. Right. Um, that That's still a different mentality uh, that he's going to bring a different personality. And so there's still going to be questions about will there be continuity in, in Wascom or not. Yeah. You know? And it's... And it's- you know, sort of an unfortunate thing for Wascom because, you know, coming off the past two seasons that they've had, they've had two great seasons. You know, as we you mentioned, they were the downfall of Dangerfield for two years in a row in the, uh, during the playoffs. And so they've had these great teams under uh, Keeling. It's, but it's unfortunate now because now it's sort of like they have to kind of start all over. You know, we're losing some key starters and coaches. And so looking, looking forward, looking ahead, I look for them to rebuild their system, to rebuild, to rebuild what was. I guess if you, if Pierce can, I guess I don't want to say copy what Keeling did, but build I, his system. You he, know, he'll build, still run the flex bone. I, yeah. I still expect to see that. But will it be the same? I, it won't. You know, it's going to be different. Uh, Keeling has his own spin to that offense. That he does, um, that that's unique to him, and and, and to, that's going to happen. Even if you hire a guy who's on staff, they're going to bring their own ideas, some of their own right. ideas. That's fine, but it, it it still does leave some holes in your program, some questions in your program. Now, I still think that they'll get second in the district behind Dangerfield um, because they're in it with Dangerfield. You have uh, Queen City, you have Harmony. And I believe Elysian Fields is in that district. I yeah. think they're all in a district together. Um, so I still see them being uh, second in that district behind Dangerfield. But there are certainly some questions there. Um, moving on from you know the Wascom, uh, you said McKeelan left, and the the team that he went to is Tatum. Mm-hmm. Uh. Tatum, as we know, we played Pittsburgh played them last uh, year, and we'll play them this year during the preseason. Uh, Tatum, Keeling, bring bringing his own style of play, the flex bone to Tatum. Now, how do you think that will work out? I see it it, it being it being I think dangerous. Bring, I think he could bring them back to glory. Yeah, because uh, because even when they were in the spread under Coach Andy Evans, they still ran a power spread. Right, they ran the football. 
They were not afraid to line up and go, okay, we're going to run the football and, and just kind of take it to them. Yeah, and Tatum had a pretty good team this year. So it's going to be interesting on the new, uh, the new direction of uh, a new di- uh, head coach um, and a new scheme. I think they'll be really good at it. Uh, hopefully not better than us because we got to play them. But <laughs> I believe they'll be really good at it and uh, will go far with it. I think the players will catch on really, really, really fast. Uh, but Tatum is another team that you know has been a powerhouse in their district for years as well, uh, alongside with Dangerfield. You know they've had they've had uh, great big spurts of uh, talent. You know mm-hmm. um, they had the, had a couple of up down years, um, but here recently they've picked it back up, and so it's going to be interesting to see how far they go as well under this new system. But high school, man, is, is I've been saying for the longest, from high school to uh, the professional league, the football world has been up for sh- uh, up and just shambles. Up, it's just been torn apart and put back together. Uh, ever since the end of ending of high school season, the ending of college season, and the end of NFL season, it's it's like everything has been just torn apart, and now it's starting to get put back together. So you start to see programs and teams rebuild. Um, which you know, they, they, as as I mentioned, you know, for high school, we've mentioned you know, coach changes and and everything with the districts. But um, we ha- what, what what's next? Is it the uh, the NFL? No, we we've got before we oh, go to the college. Yeah, but before we go there, I I wanted to talk about Alto. Oh, yeah. So. For those of you that may not have been aware, Alto ISD underreported by three students in the reclassification. So what they did is they had three students check out the day before snapshot. They unenrolled them. The Football, co- the head football coach and counselor who were over it at the time, which the head football coach, t- I mean, he can try and say, hey, we need to get rid of X number of players, but he really has nothing to do with it. It's more about the board and the superintendent and the counselor and the high school principal. So the counselor resigns and football coach resigns. The counselor turns them in through an anonymous letter to UIL. Hmm. And it all gets traced back to her. So, UIL, this is an unprecedented thing. I mean, there's been allegations over the years, but this was the first time that there's ever been a sure enough hearing about this issue. Mm-hmm. And so now, you know, you have a precedent-setting hearing about the issue of enrollment when it comes to Snapshot Day. And there was a lot of discussion about how they were going to handle it, and they wound up saying, okay, we're going to give a postseason ban for two years, to the football program. You have a new football coach who just left center to come back to Alto. Um, He had coached there, played there, now he's back as the athletic director. And now for two years he can't make the playoffs. A lot of moving parts. You know, I understand it. I don't know, I, you know, I, I've read, I've thought, you know, I've, I've talked to some folks. I don't know that I fully agree with it. 
I mean, you're punishing. Of course, the kids are always going to get punished for what the adults do. That's just that you can't avoid that. But now, I mean, none of the people responsible outside of the superintendent are even still at the district. Right. And that's the problem that I'm hung up on. Now, I understand when it comes to that counselor, UIL really doesn't have any say over her. That would that would go to TEA. But the, this does raise the question, and I've seen this question raised a couple of times um, pertaining to this situation of whether or not TEA should have some sort of a joint jurisdiction when it comes to this type of thing. I just, you know, just like you, I see it as being unfair that, you know, the players, the kids have to suffer for someone else's mistakes. Uh, and not only that, the the new head coach. Now you you have to, ex, you know, explain to your, your players that no matter how good we do this season, we can't go to the playoffs. Now I understand. It, it, it would also be unfair on the flip side. Yeah. If you make the playoffs and then you play a team that's Division Two, and you shouldn't be playing. I understand that argument. The bigger issue, too, this letter was turned in in like January or February, and UIL is just now having the hearing. Why was the hearing not held then? So that it could have been done before schedules were sent out. You could have bumped them up and done all of this, and it would have been relatively quiet. And you just say, you know what? Maybe you pop that head football coach. I, I can I can see popping Coach Gamble. I don't even know if he went anywhere. But, but I could see telling Coach Lucky Gamble, listen, you can't be a head football coach for two years. Right. You know, we don't want to see you as a head football coach. I understand that. Um, maybe handling the punishment issue that way, but not punishing the people who weren't responsible. Just simply saying, you know what? You're going to have to play in 2A Division One. It just is what it is. And, and, and just handling it from there. Right. Uh, you could have done all of that, and it wouldn't have been as big of an issue. I don't think it would have been as public of a conversation. But they, it, it, if the goal was, we're going to make an example out of a program, they did it. Yeah. And it, For two years, though. Two years. I mean... Yeah. You... you well, I, I especially feel bad for the seniors this year and the seniors the following Football numbers will be way down next year. Nobody's yeah. coming out to play football for Alto. Yeah. Which is sad because Alto's a 2A powerhouse. But it, it brings back, you know, just like you said, the accountability, where is it going to be held for the former head coach? Or is it going to be held for the council? You know, will they ever see any, rep, you know, any kind of punishment? Well, the counselor, here's my other thing. The counselor obviously saw something wrong with it because she got mad about it and wrote a letter about her former employer. Yeah. It it just, there's a lot there where I, and again, I say, it doesn't matter. The kids are always going to get punished for stuff they didn't do. But this, this to me, was kind of an atrocious way to go about it. Yeah. You know, I don't know, because of such a late date for the hearing, there yeah. really wasn't anything else you could have done. Right. Just another, like you said, why, what took the UIL so long to make a decision or do anything about it up to this point? You know, 
it, did, did they have to gather evidence? You know. Well, I understand there was had to be an investigation, but the investigation is as simple as this: if there were three students that unenrolled and re-enrolled the next day, right. it's obvious what they unenrolled and re-enrolled for. Yeah. You don't leave a school and then go, hey, mom, I think I want to go back. Like, it doesn't work that way. Right. The very next day. Um, so if there was three, the investigation is that that's all the evidence you need that that's wrong. Like, there's obviously something to this allegation. Yeah, something's out of place. You know, so now what are we going to do that? Well, we're going to reclassify you, you know. Yeah. That would, in my, in my opinion, would have been the best thing to do. And maybe you do pop Coach Campbell, you know. I understand, yeah. but but you know, but that that shows you how serious football to some people, I guess, uh, in in the state of Texas, how 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 it gets. I mean, it's 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 a lot of politics. Uh, it, it, a lot happens, but at the same time, you know, we I always say it's never that serious. You know, you you put a lot of at risk when you make those kind of decisions. Yeah. Well, I mean, you put you put your kids at risk, obviously. Um, and now the president's been said that this is what you guys gonna do. I, I I think that this may put a stop to it. This is something that has been going on for years. Right. But this was the first instance where it was so obvious that it could be proven. I mean, you have a counselor writing a letter to the board of regents saying this is what happened. This is what was done. It was this kid, this kid, this kid. And like I said, it's as simple as going back at their records. Because I had to have written it out and we unenrolled them and we re-enrolled them. And you check the date and you realize it's only a day or two apart. There's obviously something wrong there. Yeah. Um, so, because of that, I do think that it's even going to cut out the thought that you may want to do something. You're still going to, obviously, and I personally have no problem with this, say, you know what? Maybe we don't take transfers this year. That's fine. That's your right as a school district. But I do think it's going to stop the unenroll and re-enroll yeah. you know, part of the issue. I, you know. But I wish, you know, I wish the best for, you know, that, you know, that team and the, that coaching staff over these the next two years, you know, getting through that because, I mean, like I said, it has to be hard, you know, you work your butt off in the off season and then tour days in the summer and everything and you, you prepare for a season that no no matter how good you, you may, you may go 10-0 and 0, but you won't make the playoff. You well, can't go that's what I was about to say. If this had happened to any other 2A Division 2 team, we wouldn't be talking about it. But because it's Alto and the expectation is Alto's going to be in the talk for a deep postseason run, a state championship caliber run, the potential is there for them to go ten and zero. If they go five and five and lose all five of their district games, nobody's even talking about this. Yeah. If they go seven and three, you know, and have a mixture of wins and losses and barely make the play, nobody would even talk about it. But if they if they are truly a great team, then it goes well. That's going to be the first ten and zero team to not make the playoffs. Right. You know, in state history. I mean, you, there's just a lot of moving parts that I think changes the game for other schools moving forward that are right there on the bubble and they know it. I think this will also probably change the way UIL handles some of their um, 
reclassification because it, okay, so here's how here's what happened. I'll tell you exactly what happened. There is an insider with Dave Campbell's football. Um, I can't think of the guy's first name. His last name's Padilla. He's got an insider in UIL mm-hmm. that gives him kind of a over-under on the numbers. So if you want to know if you're kind of on the bubble, you call him, and he'll kind of tell you, hey, this is what I'm hearing. That's never going to be concrete, but he gets within one or two kids. And so what happened was Alto contacted him and was like, okay, what's the number? And he said, well, okay, here, here's what I'm hearing. And so they guess. They figure they're within three. They get rid of him. I think that it's probably going to change his ability to, to make those type phone calls. Yeah. Um, I think you're probably going to see that that goes away. I think you're going to see an even tighter ship run among the Board of Regents when it comes to this reclassification talk. Who's going where? I mean, because there was already talk even before reclassification came out that Carthage was coming over our way as far as the region was. And, and so you've got all of this talk. There's all, and, and people always think, oh, nobody ever knows. So if you're in those coaches' offices, you kind of have an idea. We used to have like five different things up on the board of possibilities of who we would be playing yeah. and what was going to happen. I think that you're going to see less of that become available to try and, and abate this type of situation. And, and ultimately, it's about the kids. I mean, you yeah. know, you, you've got to do what you can so that people quit putting kids in this situation. It just right. is what it is. Uh, I mean, because I hate it for them. I wish them all the best, uh, especially those seniors and everything. But, I mean, like I said, at, at the end of the day, like you said, the kids pay for the the mistakes that the adults make, and it should never be that way. But unfortunately, it is. Um, we're gonna uh, let's move see. on to the college. Yeah, we're going to the college. Let's see, man. College world. As I told you, college world, man. I, I've been seeing a lot with Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly has been kind of blowing up in the tabloids, you know, with LSU. He's new uh, head coach over at LSU and. You know, he seems to be uh, uber excited about you know their season starting. He's been very just out there since he's become the head coach of LSU. He may become a landing site of the SEC <laughs> if he's not if he's not careful. We're yeah. seeing a completely different Brian Kelly than the one that was at Notre Dame. You know, okay, yeah, obviously Notre Dame being a private Catholic school, yeah, they, they've got their own rules. There were certain things he probably wasn't allowed to do, and I understand he's probably you know out there more uh, able to show some more of his personality. I understand, but you got to tone it down. When your opening deal is, we're so glad to be here, and you've been so good to me and my family, and we ain't even won a game yet. You're not from the South, my guy. You, you, you don't have that accent. But that's exactly what his opening deal was. And I'm like, tone it down. You don't have to be somebody you ain't. They hired you because you're Brian Kelly. Because you're a good defensive-minded football coach who knows how to, to win ball games, who knows how to motivate players, who knows how to be on that 
the cusp of a national championship caliber football team. That's why you got hired. The, the fear I have with Brian Kelly is that he's going outside of who he is. And the danger of that is when you start to do that, you become less of who you really are. And that and you lose that thing that you had, the edge that you had, the reason that you had for them hiring you in the first place. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. You know, LSU, they... You know them coming out what was two years ago. They had the, they won the national, yeah, ch- championship, uh, and then that the, the following season they went. You know, it's like they went cold. You know, and so I believe the, them bringing in Brian Kelly and, and moving on from the the other head coach. It something the, fresh, barring other things. But they they brought in Brian Kelly to run a tight ship that or- Ed Orgeron never did. Yeah. That's what it was about. But that's what I'm saying. They hired you for that. Quit trying to be the guy who's fun yeah. and hip. <laughs> and they, they brought you in to be the guy yeah. who comes in and says, this is the way we're going to play football, and this is the way we're going to run a program. But I don't know what his mindset may be. It, it could be like, oh, I'm going to bring some excitement to this program, but LSU doesn't need excitement, you know, because it's LSU. And besides that, I don't care how much excitement you still have to play Alabama. You still, <laughs> you still have to play Ole Miss. You still have to play Florida. I mean, you still have to play all of these top caliber football teams. It doesn't matter. Right. You still have to play those cats. Just be who you are. Right, yeah. And, and you have a better chance of competing. If you try and get outside the box, they've already won the game. Like, you know, that just is what it is. Yeah. And you see a lot of the recruits didn't go there. Oh yeah, he didn't win on the recruiting. Trail. No, I mean he could shoot all. Have you seen those videos of him? The recruit videos that he set up like this whole studio inside the athletic facility, and and it, like spins him around. And it has all these strobe lights, and they do these dances, and he's throwing up signs. Yeah, I think I was just talking that. about. Okay, that didn't win anybody over. Like, I, I, <laughs> like what are you doing? You're Brian Kelly. You're not. Deion Sanders, who we're going to talk about, you're not that guy. <laughs> That's not your game. You know, like be who you are. They didn't hire you. I don't know that this is going to work out long term. I know we got a big contract. Um, I I don't remember them talking about a buyout already. But I, you know, I if you're LSU, you got to be looking and going, okay, we didn't hire you for that. We hired you to be better than this guy. Yeah. Well, now if they come out and win their first. Three or four games, you know, by a couple of touchdowns, nobody's even talking about it. Yeah, but so that's the question that I ask is, you know, you, you mentioned he was at, at Notre Dame in their private Catholic school. My guess is, you know, be a little bit uptight, you know, kind of. Yeah. So my guess is, has he always been this type of guy, but was never able to show it at, uh, at Notre Dame? So now that he's out of that, and he's at, you know at LSU, like now I can finally just open up and be who I am. The guy, you know, the the kind of emotions, the kind of excitement that I wasn't able to truly show at Notre Dame, I can show it here. Now, other than the accent thing, that's different, you know. Me and my family. Yeah, like if you ain't from Texas, don't use and, and the accent. Ain't even one of our games. <laughs> yeah. yeah, or not Texas, Louisiana. Uh, look, the South. The South. Period. Yeah, if it you're not don't, terrible yeah, accent, don't do that. That's almost mockery. We take that offensively. <laughs> But that may be true. You may be right. That may, but then it's not going to work. Because they hired him for the prime television at Notre Dame. Right. 
that that's the danger. If that's not who he was, then he's not gonna get another big job. Like they hired him because of that. Yeah. Now he could come in and be that, you know, with the excitement and be that type of coach he was at Notre Dame. We'll see. I, who, who do they start this? I'm gonna I don't look that, yeah, look that up. I don't know because I don't really follow LSU. I'm not. I'm not an LSU fan. Uh, Texas Longhorns here, baby. Uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But um, I, I, he he could come in to be that same coach, but with a with a dash of uh, excitement. So you they know? start the year with Florida State. Then they play Southern University. Not a bad game. Then they play Mississippi State. They don't. They don't start out heavy. Well, Mississippi State can put a point. Yeah, they can. I mean, Florida State that might be a good game. Yeah. Then you got New Mexico. Then you play Auburn, Tennessee. Then it starts to get hard. Florida. <laughs> <laughs> it starts then to get you hard. Got Florida. <laughs> then you've got Ole Miss and Alabama in back-to-back weeks. <laughs> then you've so got good. Arkansas in Arkansas. Then you've got the University uh, UAB. Okay, what do you do? But then you've got Texas A&M in Texas A&M. So you've seen that schedule. It starts out like eh, okay, and then it's boom. <laughs> it's like it's like the dun dun dun. <laughs> because they, you, you kick it off with who? Who do you kick it off with? Uh, Florida State. Uh, Florida State, and then Southern University. Yeah. Okay. Mississippi State. Who can score? Okay. New, New Mexico. Mexico. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, you went for and then Auburn. Oh, now it's starts getting. Yeah, okay, all right, Auburn, all right. Then Tennessee. <laughs> then Miss Owens. It's like when it hits Auburn, you're like, okay, all right. Tennessee, that's when you start to adjust in your seat. Because <laughs> yeah. then it gets hard. You, know, you you start to get to the meat of the, of the, of the season now. And so maybe they're able, maybe he's able to bring in. Uh, that little extra spice, you know, because Louisiana likes that extra spice, that extra kick. Maybe he's able to still bring in Notre Dame, Brian Kelly, with an extra bit of excitement, you know. And if he's able to do that, then I say he stays for a while. He, he stays out throughout that contract. But if he can't do that, then LSU had to rethink, why did we really hire him? Or did we really hire him, the, uh, the Brian Kelly that we thought we needed? So that, that, that's what I'm going to be interested to see as the season goes on. Yeah. It's what Brian Kelly's going to be on the sidelines, and is it the one that LSU was looking forward to? Now, we talked about Deion Sanders. You you wanted this on the agenda for the show. Today. Yeah. Deion Sanders made us. And Travis Hunter. Yeah. Let, tra- let's, let's talk about that, then we'll get to the statement that you talked about. Okay. So you have the Travis Hunter, Deion Sanders situation. It's been talked about ad nauseum. I mean, like, throw up. We've all heard it. Yeah. Travis Hunter, the number one recruit in the nation, skips everybody else. <laughs> and I mean everybody. Including Alabama. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to go to an HBCU school. I think that's what they're... Yeah, HBCU. Yeah. Okay. And play for Dion. That starts off the NIL controversy. Yeah. Now, you saw something interesting. Did you see the film or did you read the article where he's just blowing everything No, it was away? a film. It was a highlight film. So, a couple of days ago, I saw, uh, I believe it was Twitter, where there's a uh, there's a post and a, and a video, a clip that goes along with it that says, Travis Hunter is the best uh, 
player out here at Jackson State. Which and, is not good for Jackson yeah. State, and it's not good for him. But, and you know, it's a clip of him at, at, at the wide receiver position. Now, I don't know whether Deion's going to use him on both sides of the ball. Uh, whether it's going to be If offense. he does, and I, let me say this, if he does, that means that this whole thing's a sham, and it's nothing more than a circus. I am not, I'll put this on the record, I am not, am not, and never will be a Deion Sanders fan. He played for our Cowboys, did a good job, God bless him. But as a coach, he is a fraud. He is not there for the players. He is there to feed his ego. This whole move was because he was mad that he didn't get the Florida State job, and Florida State was one of the leading teams recruiting Travis Hunter, and as a middle finger to them, he recruits his kid. Yeah. Well, and so you have this video, and uh, uh, with him at receiver, and I mean he smokes the corner, just right after it, just smokes the corner, and I'm looking and I'm saying, okay, that ain't good, <laughs> you know, That's because if him. that was a, if that was a starting corner, and he does that to he's he this is a freshman, and he gets done like that by a freshman, what's the rest of the season gonna look? I mean, I mean. They're not a national type ball club. They're not. Okay. But, see, Travis Hunter, as I said, he passed up uh, Florida State, uh, Alabama. Alabama, uh, I think LSU was in the run. LSU, Ole Miss. uh, Who else? Uh, Georgia, I think. Mostly SEC schools. Yeah. If I remember right. Right. And so he's passed up all these teams. To go to Jackson State. And and be with Dion. But it's about money. This is why the NIL stuff started. Because somebody, whether it was Dion or whether it was a booster, promised him millions of dollars. And by the way, last I checked, I, I checked in on this. He hadn't received a dime of no. that money. No. Well, that's just like the statement he came out. Uh, Travis Hunter came out and said, he says, I still, you know, still live with my mom. You know, my mom ain't still live in the same house. I haven't been able, I haven't bought anything for anybody. Basically, real. Uh, telling I don't have any money. I haven't received any money. So regardless of what, but see, this deal with the NIL is that they're making non-contractual promises. I'm going to. They're telling these kids, I'm going to pay you this much if you come to play for us. And these kids aren't seeing these. Where's the money at? If they're not signing anything. They're not. It's nothing on paper. Quinniers. <laughs> yeah, it's nothing on paper. Saying that they will be paid, it's other. It's just word of mouth. Yeah. So that's dangerous. If you're gonna, now I'm all for college players getting paid for the right reasons, but if you're going to pay them, it needs to be on paper, and there needs to be a cap. Right. There can't be this endless amount of money being because paid. you can't. Because that's the deal. Because if they're making that much money in college, you go to the NFL and your contract, NFL contract, is less than what you made in college. What's your point of even going to the NFL? You know, uh, are you going to go to the NFL because you really want to genuinely want to make it to that next level? Or are you going to the NFL because you're looking for more money of a bigger deal? That's the danger of this NIL rule. If you're going, The only way I think that this should work out is if you're going to pay them based off of jersey sales. Uh, we know that the NC, uh, NCAA uh, games are coming back, uh, I think, next year. Um so if you're going to pay them, pay them for something like that, the likeness of their name, not based off of them coming to play for you and you saying you're going to pay them. Yeah, you, they should be able to make money off of their, like you say, 
whatever deals that they make with uh, EA Sports yeah. for the game, any jersey sales, that type thing. Right. But it shouldn't just be, oh, okay, we're going to pay you $10 million to play at Jackson State or, or, or Alabama or wherever. But Dion started it. He was the first one to promise a kid something that he can't deliver. Unless Dion's going to cut the kid a $5 million check himself, which he clearly has not, then what was it? I mean, you, you, you're just making people believe things. I don't know. So that brings me to my my next thing with this uh, with Deion Sanders and his statement as well. You know, of course, he was asked about playing teams like Alabama, LSU, uh, Ole Miss, teams like that. And his statement was, you know, we got to beef up the our front first. You know, because those guys obviously have they have the big offensive linemen, uh, the, the 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 big uh, defensive players, and all this. And Dion's, his, his statement is, we have to beef up our old line. We have to beef up our defensive line. But, um, so there's a player, uh, and, and it's a smart comment by Dion. It's a smart comment by him. To an extent. But it goes back to what I've said about Dion. If that's how he really feels and he knows that, keep your mouth shut. Yeah. But that raises the question, which brings me to this player. So there's a, a five-star player out there named Samson Okunlola, Okun uh, uh, tackle, five-star tackle. Um, so it, it it raises the question: Will Dion go after this guy? Because since he's made that statement, we got to beef up our front. Is he, now is he going to go after the next five-star player? I don't think so, and here's why: uh, He may go after him. I don't think he's going to get him. Because if, if all of this is true with Travis Hunter, Travis Hunter probably uh, enters a transfer portal at the end of the year. He goes somewhere else. Because he's not getting his money. He's clearly the best player on the field. And here's the issue that I have. He's blowing away the corner at Jackson State. But how good is Travis Hunter? Because I don't know if that kid's very good. Yeah. Now, if he blows away the corner at Alabama or Georgia... Florida State or somewhere else, I go, that kid can play. You know, because if he blows away that guy, we're not talking about, oh, is Alabama still a good football team? We just go, that kid's an incredible talent. Yeah. But because of what we've seen, now we're having a conversation of, is Jackson State very good? Like, what does that say about the rest of their ball club? Uh, and, and so I think he's going to be the last guy that you see forego these bigger schools. I, I, I it, was, it was it was definitely a bold move for him and a bold move for Dion. But we all thought it was going to change the landscape. Yeah. And I think it's probably not. Now, Dion have gotten, you know, a couple of high-ranked players after Travis Hunt. You know, you had some that changed their mind on recruiting. On uh, the teams that were going to go to coming out of high school, and you had some of them that may have even transferred in. Um, but as still as the team as a whole, will they make the team better uh, as a whole? It, it, it it's a lot of questioning, so questioning surrounding Travis Hunter's even to this day is his decision on why he made that made that decision. You you turned down. These big SEC schools and go with Jackson State. Um, 
I feel personally that it was more of a Dion move than it than just the school being an HBCU because you've seen a lot of recruits uh, turn down uh, going to these uni- different universities, you know, these big universities, just to go to HBCUs, mm-hmm. uh, and that was more part of, of of ethnicity and you know background. Uh, but with Travis Hunter, I, I question with you being the top player, the number one player in the nation, and number one recruit in the nation. What was your reason? I'm not saying yeah, he could have had the same same reason, but you picked the school with Deion Sanders, who's known as one of the greatest corners in NFL football, mm-hmm. and you being one of the bet or the best corner in the nation, on top of a receiver, who Deion did the same thing in the NFL. Play on both sides of the ball. Yeah, you chose his school, so now that now that that that's what Red Rose uh, made the the uh, the questions rise. Why you choose Dion over Grambling Grambling State, Grambling State, and uh, let's see, I can't even think of it any more HBCU. It took my tongue, but I don't know how their football programs, but. Grambling State is another good, uh, another good football team. All these other HBCUs, but you chose the one with Deion Sanders. It's not about a big going in HBCU. It's about showtime. I, that's what I believe. I, I, I believe that he did it because it's Dion. And if it's Dion, there's going to be a show. Exactly. But it goes back to my beef with Deion Sanders. Get out of the coaching ranks because you're not there for the kids. You are there. You're making promises to these players that you can't fulfill. You're you're recruiting them to come off of the national stage to come play for your school. And I don't know if Deion Sanders has one ESPN game all year. I I don't know that there's one game of his that's going to be on national television. Maybe. But I, I don't know of one off the top of my head. They've shown a few of them. I mean, there's some you can catch on TV. Um, but it's not like a prime time game. Yeah, no, no, no. So why are you taking these kids who have the talent, who have the the ability to get this exposure, why are you making a promise to them knowing that you're not going to get them the same exposure and the same uh, opportunities that they would get at these other schools? Yeah. I... To me, it just, the whole thing from day one with him has been, has come across as an ego thing. That he's mad because he didn't get some of these Division One jobs that he so badly wanted. So now I'm going to go to an HBCU school, and I'm going to talk all the, the, the talk, and I'm going to promise all these things. But at the end of the day, I know I can't play in Alabama. I know I can't play Florida State. He didn't even get an interview at TCU. You know, he, he applied. They don't even interview him. They hire a no-name at TCU over him. That tells you what you got to know about Dion the coach. That, you know, and I, I think we have to separate Dion the guy, Dion the player, from Dion the coach. Yeah. You know, and it might be, he may, I'm not saying he doesn't know the game of football. He obviously does. But there's more to coaching than just the X's and O's and being flashy. At some point, you gotta you got to want to build a program for the kids, not a program to say, oh, I'm Deion Sanders, 
And oh, by the way, I can coach. You know, I, that's the thing. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, it'll be interesting to see how the season plays out over there. Yeah. Now, uh, I believe we you, you you said something about Arch Manning, right? Yeah. About uh, was it a uh, commenter commentator? So, so a talent evaluator, okay, yeah, an talent. unnamed talent evaluator, stated that Arch Manning is only the number one recruit because of his last name. That talent wise and all that, he's not the number one recruit. I disagree with that. I do too. But I just found it interesting. Because this was the first guy that had the stones. They didn't want to put his name yeah. to it. But he had the stones to come out and say, Arch Manning's not the number one football, high school football player in the nation. Okay. Now, obviously, there are other players, five star players out there just like him. But I believe this guy made this, this comment only because of his name. Because he's Peyton Manning and Eli Manning's nephew. If it had been anybody else, this comment wouldn't have been made. Just like he's claiming that he's only a top recruit because of his name, I think he only made that comment because of, of Arch Manning's name. Because Arch Manning, if you watch his highlights, if you watch any game film of him, he has the poise, he has the accuracy, he has the IQ, he has everything it takes to be a top recruit. Barring, it's not his fault. You don't choose who your family is. Now, it, it, granted, he had, he was able to be able to, I guess, you know, train with his uncles. You know, mm-hmm. them teach him something. His granddad. Yeah, his grand, his, his dad, dad. His dad. His dad was a good football player before his injury. Right. His dad was the was better than Peyton and Eli. Yeah. And so, but you, but you can't put that on this kid because, uh, oh, well, it's just his name. What if you don't? What about the work that he has put in? What about everything else? Okay, if you're gonna say that, what about his brother that's coming up? That's the starting center, who's also gonna be a top recruit. Are you gonna say that he's not good because of, he's just getting attention because of his name? I mean, you have to look at these things. Archie Manning didn't choose to be born into the the Manning family of you know great quarterbacks and great NFL players or just great players, but it's just what he was blessed with. Mm-hmm. So. You have to take it or leave it. But don't criticize him off of his name. Criticize him off of his game. And from what I've seen, kid got some serious game. There's his new motto. You just oh. don't, want, you're, don't <laughs> criticize him for his name. Criticize him for the game. Yeah. <laughs> because what he's saying, it, it has it's not constructive. Yeah. You know, you want to tear this young man down because you believe that he's only gotten as far as he's gotten because of his name. And you're a talent a talent evaluator. Well, you said nothing about talent. It, yeah, you're right. Now, now he says that he's not as talented as people think. I disagree with that. Uh, I, I think he's a very good quarterback. He goes back to the playoff game where they lost, but but if you look at that, they played a very good. No, that was a really good team. That was actually the it, okay. Top if team that's in true, if that's true, then Patrick Mahomes was never good. Right, <laughs> like. People forget, we're from East Texas. We remember the days when Patrick Mahomes wasn't even the best quarterback in the district. Yeah. All right. So, so I mean, we have to be careful with saying, oh, he lost a playoff game, so he's not very good. You know how many teams have had NFL caliber players and couldn't win a state championship in Texas or in other places? Like, it just it just is what it is. Right. I don't care how good a quarterback is or a receiver or a running back or an offensive lineman or a defensive player is. 
Um, you've got to have a team as a whole to succeed exactly. to win a state championship. And I think this guy's just looking at. You're right. He's just looking at the player. Man, look at the team. He, now Arch Manning obviously had a good team. Yeah. They fell short, but the team that, like you said, the team that they played in that playoff game was a really good team. That, that was a really good quarterback on the other side. Exactly. He wasn't better than Arch Manning, but that was a good quarterback. Right. I've seen some of the highlights of that ball game. That's a good play. Yeah. And so, as a matter of fact, that quarterback, he's young. I think he's only like a a uh, junior, sophomore, sophomore junior going into his junior season. And so you. You take that game. That's not credible enough. You got to look at the whole season as a whole. That's not a fair measuring stick for Archman. It's yeah. just No. No. Obviously, I, Texas doesn't recruit him based off of his name. Now, I'm a Texas Longhorn fan, but oh, I disagree with you on that one. You you think they they? I I, I think that his name played a, a large part in why UT would go after. I think he's a talented player, but let's not let's not deceive ourselves. UT hasn't been a powerhouse football program for some time. So how do you rile up the fan base? You go get okay, you go well, okay. a Manning from the SEC. Yeah, okay. Well, you 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 got a point there, and there's another a comment that I want to make on uh, UT here in a little bit. But you take Arch Manning uh, and, and you put him. In a in a situation up against let's say because he is in Texas, he's going to Texas. We, but you put him in a game. Put him against Quinn Ewers. Yeah. Like what about that? Nobody's even talking about the fact that Quinn Ewers was the starting quarterback of South Lake Carroll. Yeah. He was the number one recruit. Right. Then he goes, he forgoes his senior year of a state championship caliber ball club to go play at Ohio State, gets passed over for the job there, enters the transfer portal, goes to Texas thinking he's going to be their guy, and they go, oh, by the way, we're going to bring in Arch Manning. Arch Manning. And so you put him up against that guy, uh, Quinn Ewers, who you mentioned, was also the number one recruit in the nation, you know. Who do you pick to win? Who do you pick to be the better QB? Well, the, in all fairness, I mean, we hadn't seen Quinn Ears play in almost two years, so we don't yeah. know. And so, I mean, Arch Manning is just more than just, he's more than just a Manning. Yeah, he's a Manning, and his I, name comes well, with a legacy. I, I, I agree. He's a very talented ball player. I think he beats out those guys. I do think that talent played a but what I'm saying is I think the reason UT specifically went after him and tried to steal him from the SEC well, is you can rile up the fan base by saying yeah. you took a manning out of the SEC. Well, yeah, and you look at you, and, and this is the, the statement I'm going to make about UT. UT is uh, looking to head into the SEC in the next couple of years. Which is a bad mistake. So, uh, I'm excited to see. I'm kind of excited. I'm kind of nervous because, you know, I, they, I don't want them to get stumped. So on. they play Alabama in UT. You'll lose your excitement after that game this year. <laughs> and do you think that that's, that's your schedule every year from here on out? I, I, I am kind of worried because looking at their spring game and looking at that, I understand it's a spring game. You know, it's not really a real game. But looking at their defense, I, I'm kind of concerned. Well, it, and, and the offense, to, I'm not, but the defense, I am. But UT, they're 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 going. They got Quinn Ewers. I believe that on top of other top recruits, they were able to get. But I believe they're gearing up for the SEC uh, by getting these type of players, by getting Arch Manning, not only for 
uh, uh, talent-wise for his name. Okay, we got Arch Manning. That's going to add some a- a- excitement. Um, we got Quinn Ewers. Um, you better be able to play defense. Right. We got a top running back. We got a top defensive player. We got top defensive players. T- top, And so, they're gearing up for something. I, I won't say that they're just... They're just going to leave themselves out there uh, high and dry. But they're gearing up for something because they know we have to have something. We have to have an extra edge if we're going to head into the uh, SEC against Alabama, Ole Miss, uh, even Texas A&M, and and, and, uh, Georgia, right? No, Georgia. Georgia. Yeah, Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. So you got to have an extra edge. Mississippi State. I mean, Mississippi State can't play defense, yeah. but they swore a lot. Yeah, so you have to have an extra edge. You have to have something. And so them them getting Arch Manning was just the, the that was the start of it. To be honest, well, I, I didn't mean, know we, getting them was the cherry on, getting Arch Manning was the cherry on top because they had already gotten uh, a top uh, running back crew and defensive recruits. But we also forget this is just a verbal commitment. You yeah, well. Be it I, as it may. I, think, <laughs> I honestly think he says it now. I think we'll we'll see. I, I want to know if he feels the same way if Alabama goes in there and blows them out. And if, let's see, who all do they play out of the SEC? Let's Is see. Alabama their only? But here's another thing. You got Steve Sarkeesian, right? Who may not even be there. Right. But... Could he have played a major factor in Arch Manning coming to? Oh, Texas? absolutely, because he's a great uh, a quarterback developer. But see, there you go. But, but if he gets fired, so if he leaves, you think Arch going with him? Well, I don't know where he's going to go unless he goes back to Alabama. If Bill O'Brien gets a head job somewhere, well. I mean, all, that, that's the thing. There's there's way too many moving parts to that. In my opinion, this is why I say the, the the football world is up in shambles right now. It's it's starting to be put back together, but all the pieces aren't completely in place yet. So Alabama is the only, yeah, Alabama is no surprise the only SEC team that takes honestly the Alabama. That's enough. <laughs> that's what enough. I'm saying Who is, you go if, to after this? if you're selling point to Archmania, we can compete with the SEC. Put some SEC guys on your schedule, like outside of just Alabama. Well, Alabama is it. I mean, well, I mean yeah, top guy. Okay, but if you feel so good about it, play Ole Miss. Play Texas A&M. Play, I mean, that's the whole reason why they're getting it in there. It's anyway. all about Texas A&M. So why not schedule Texas A&M? That's a good point. I didn't think about that. That's the whole reason why they really wanted if, to enter into If SEC. you really want to test out this theory... And your selling point to Arch Manning is we're this good. Yeah. Okay. So so what I'm saying is, okay, if they play Alabama and Alabama blows them out, well, he's probably got, gonna look and go, That's it. Wait, whoa, what? <laughs> Time out. <laughs> and if they don't even win the Big Twelve, which they may not, he may look at that and go, uh, guys? Um, you didn't win this division. We've only got one more year left in that one. The one guys, the one guy you played out of the other division we were going beat you fifty to nothing at home. <laughs> I, I I just don't understand. I think there's too much of this lose lose for Texas right now. I I don't see them being in a position. The only way they get away with this from a PR perspective is if they win the Big Twelve. 
Like, yeah. they, they kind of put all their chips in and said, we're going to win the Big 12, we're going to keep him, even at the, the sake of maybe making our starting quarterback this year mad in Quinn Ewers. Yeah. I, I just don't, I didn't understand why do you go all in on Arch Manning. Well, I, see how good you're going to be and then go after somebody. Yeah. Well, I, I, speaking of the Big 12, on the Big 12, Texas is one of those teams, obviously, have been a presence in the Big 12 for years. But then you, you have teams that would, and, and questioning whether or not they'll win that division, but you have teams like uh, TCU, um, Baylor, uh, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, which I think Oklahoma State may win the division, win it, the Big 12, you know? They have a shot. Yeah. But Oklahoma has a shot because now they're going to play defense. They have uh, Coach Venables, yeah. uh, who left Clemson as the defensive coordinator, head coach. Uh, you have Baylor, who's still going to be a very good football team. Right, and they're a great defensive team. Yeah. Um, and so, Texas, as I said before, they've, they've geared up for something. Now their advantage would is would be for them to take those players that they the top recruits those players and the players that they already have, and to build continue to build on the program to where okay now we're at the caliber where we may stand somewhat of a chance against some SEC teams. Yeah, but the, like you said, the only way that they'll be able to do that is if they win the Big Twelve. If they come out on top, you have to. Yeah, I, I mean that that may be the only way around this whole thing so there won't be too much there will be criticism but there won't be as much because at least at the end of the day if they come out on top you'll be able to say well they won they came out you know <laughs> but what if you do- okay what if you don't so if you don't you have to fire uh, um, head coach Sarkeesian. Just, uh, Sarkeesian you have to fire Sarkeesian you're going to lose Arch Manning You've already made Quinn Ewers mad because you recruited Arch Manning in the first place and you lost the quarterback coach that he wanted to play for. I, I, I just And you're going to the Big 12. And you can't back point, out of this year, deal. You can't. You've signed the contract. Yeah. You've, you flipped the bird to the Big 12. They're all mad. I, I just... And you take Oklahoma with you. Put themselves in a very bad spot. Yeah. It's what I said about that whole deal from the beginning. UT left to play Texas A&M. Oklahoma left to play UT, and nobody considered that everybody has to play Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> nobody thought about it's that. It's the three-headed monsters fighting each other. <laughs> well, it's a, well two-headed because you can't really put A&M in. A and M is in the SEC. They, so like, they, they've been doing their thing. Yeah. So you 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 have two teams that follow. One follow just to play you, and the other one that followed them wants to play the team that wants to play you. So it's it's a weird situation. Plays yeah. Alabama. <laughs> but it's like this group is fighting right here. But then you look down the road, and here's Alabama coming towards you. Yeah, you know, and Georgia, and, and Ole Miss, yeah. and LSU. Here's the big brigade. You know, <laughs> like this is every little, week. You have the little brawl happening right here. But yeah. here comes the war. You know, <laughs> <laughs> the skirmish and the war. Yeah, and so this as a as a Longhorn fan. It's going to be an interesting season with Arch Manning and Quinn Ewers on the same team. Uh, to see what they can bring to the Texas Longhorn, uh, the table. I mean, will they be the same? Will Quinn Ewers still be a top caliber quarterback that he was coming out of high school? 
uh, will Arch Manning be you know, a good quarterback coming out of high school? You know, will will any of this translate and help this team? We'll see. Yeah, that's all I got to say about that. We'll see. Yeah. Um, I think that about wraps up the college thing. Yeah. So just kind of looking at some some quick things, we're gonna run through kind of quickly. Yeah. Uh, some of the pro sports, Cowboys, uh, of course, <laughs> they beefed up the receiving core. You know, but I also read a deal, and I meant to send this to you yesterday, where a lot of people think that that's it looks good in the receiving core, but it's not. Uh, from what I've been seeing, it looks promising because you have. You have C.D. Lamb returning, uh, who's bulked up and seems to have gotten faster and more skilled. Yeah. Uh, and then you have uh, rookie draftee uh, and, and Jalen Tolbert, who's had a great uh, camp so far. And then you have Simi Fihoko, who's had a great camp. Noah Brown had a great camp. T.J. Vasher's having a great camp. And so you, this is the receiver, receiving core. Now, people were saying, about, well, it may look this way now. But we have to see it in a real game situation. Um, Jerry Jones seems to be okay with what we have right now. Well, we're going to talk about that in yeah. a second. I, but why not? Okay, why is Odell Beckham Jr. still sitting out there? Go sign him to a stinking one-year deal and see what Well, because got. Odell Jr. had the same injury that uh, Michael Gallup had. Okay. He, I understand. But he won't be able to play. And he's going to play this year. Was it not he's as work- bad? He's working out. Well, Michael Gallup is working out too, but he's not going to. He probably won't. He may come. Well, like OBJ could be signed from what I mean to a one-year deal. You might get him, I think, mid-season. Yeah. But why not? I, I would say why not. not. I, I almost wonder if it's the whole thing, though. You have Dak Prescott, who's not a veteran court. Like, he is, but he's not. Right? Odell Beckham Jr. is not going to respect him. He didn't respect Baker Mayfield. He's not going to respect Dak Prescott. But he respected Matt Stafford. That's why it worked. Because he wasn't going to go up to Matt Stafford and say, I need my touches. Like, Matt Stafford was going to run that offense. The problem that he had in Cleveland was he would go up to to uh, Mayfield and he would berate him in practice. He would berate him in the huddle. He, I mean, you know, you blankety blank, you better get me the ball. I, I almost wonder if they're afraid that that would become the scene in Dallas. Well, that's because Baker Mayfield couldn't get him the ball. Right. It's not that he wasn't. It's that he couldn't. And so, but, but we don't know that Dak can. Like, I would say that, that, but Dak can better than Mayfield. And I will tell you this. This is the difference that the way L.A. used uh, Odell Beckham versus the way Cleveland used him. They used Odell Beckham in the slot position. They ran him across the middle. They used him on short routes. It yeah, worked. he wasn't the deep route. And that's, that's the difference. They used Odell Beckham as a deep route receiver along with Jarvis Landry in Cleveland, and Baker Mayfield couldn't get them the ball. Where you have, if Dallas was to sign uh, Odell Beckham uh, Jr., they would use him or should use him like L.A. used him. And that's what you've seen the results before he got hurt in the Super Bowl game. As the, when they use them that way. out there asking for more touches? That's the question. Yeah.
quarterback. He can manage the game, but he's not the type of quarterback that can be throwing all game. Neither, neither now that can if work himself up to be that, but something. Well, I only say work himself to be that. That can work himself up to play a whole game where they're just passing. But Dak needs that point in time, that point where okay, now I need to feed the ball to Zeke or Tony Pollard or whoever else. Baker Mayfield is the same way. Whereas in this in the stance that I say that Dak is better than uh, Mayfield is that Dak is more accurate. All right, yeah, I agree with that. That's why I say Baker Mayfield wasn't accurate. And when you have a receiver like Jarvis Landry and 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 Odell Beckham, you have to be accurate. And I'm sure his completion range. Yeah, probably twice, whatever. Yeah, and, and and Baker Mayfield wasn't accurate. It's not that he wasn't getting the ball to him, because he was throwing it to him, but he couldn't. Yeah, he couldn't make that accuracy where Dak can. Even on some of Dak's worst passes, at least he can get it into their range. He, Baker Mayfield wasn't even getting it into Odell Beckham's range. Yeah, it wasn't in the percent. The ball yeah. wasn't in the percentage. And so, him going to Dallas would make a difference. Uh, but Matthew Stafford, being, being a veteran quarterback, well, obviously a seasoned quarterback, you have that type of respect for him. Mm-hmm. You know? And, like I said, it was a different position. They used him on the inside. And they, he, Matthew Stafford was... Now, I'm not his, a fan of his, but he's a good quarterback. I can't take that away from him. But he was able to get Odell Beckham Jr. the ball. Where I believe if Dallas were to go out to get Odell Beckham, it would be, it would be the same. Now the difference would be is, what would you do with Michael Gallup or Noah Brown? Sure. Because you somebody got to go. Now you know what you 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 you're looking at adding on to your receiver core, but you add on to your receiver core, then you forget about Michael Gallup, who could also come in at the same time to Odell Beckham. Well, that's true, and you know I think that Michael Gallup is an overlooked. Yeah, I, it's just. A, OBJ is a, nut, a name that you kind of see and you go, okay, why is he still there? Yeah. You know, especially when you have a team like the Cowboys who who have made it plain that they want to beef up at that position and, and put as many guys in there. Yeah. You know, as they possibly can. Now, you mentioned Jerry Jones. The question I have with him, who's really in control of this thing? <laughs> is it him or his son? And is he so busy caught up in the past? Like, he's still mad at... Jimmy. Uh, Jimmy. You know, and I'm like, well, why don't we win a game now? Like, <laughs> and then he comes out and he says, well, I've got options at head coach. So is McCarthy like a placeholder for who you really want? You get the feeling that Mike McCarthy's time in Dallas is done. He's a sitting duck. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I won't say done. I say it's it's it's, it's very it's limited. Because with a statement like that, you don't assume that oh well he's going to be there another three seasons, you know. With a statement like that, that from Jerry, it seems like Jerry had in mind who he wanted, which we all know was Sean Payton. Sean Payton, Sean Payton for years. Yes, but Sean Payton had was unavailable. The moment Sean Payton became available, he became unavailable once again with a certain move. Um, but. Mike McCarthy was out there. He's the next best thing that's out there on the market. And he's been, in, even outside of the NFL, he's been working on uh, analyzing. He's built his own team. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's an opportunity you can't pass up because now you need a, you, you let go of your, you fire your head coach, and Jason Garrett. Now you need a head coach. Mike McCarthy's the best, next best thing out there. I think he was at the time. 
now you've got Sean Payton. I understand you have to trade for him. And that's that's what all this is about. Yeah. Everybody is waiting for that year to go up so that now maybe you don't have to trade as much. Yeah. That's what this is about. It's not about Jerry wants McCarthy. It's that Jerry doesn't want to trade all of this draft capital to New Orleans at this point to bring in Sean Payton. Right. I understand. But it's not fair to McCarthy. I mean, I, now, granted, McCarthy wasn't going to get another job this year. But I, I do think that it's probably one of those that he put, he coaches the season with his eyes on the coaching cycle next year. Yeah. That he's probably looking at some of these other jobs going, this job's going to be open, this job's going to be open, and that job's going to be open. I'm, I might have a shot. You know, like I might can get an interview, I might can get that job. I don't, and the the thing, but here's the problem. Here's what Jerry's done. Jerry says he's about winning now, but with comments like that, you put your team in a position where they're really just a placeholder for next year. Right. Where are you all in at? I mean, and then you have negotiations that you weren't even a part of with one of your players that you desperately wanted back. Your son puts in at the last minute some questionable language into the contract. And the guy gets offended and leaves, goes and signs for the same amount of money, same length of contract elsewhere. Yeah. Who's in control? I, I you know, I think it, I, I'm afraid that Dallas is going to blow this little window that they had to be really competitive. Well, it's always been the the, the question and the, the elephant in the room has always been, has always been, uh, and as long as they're there, will always be. The Joneses. What are the Joneses up to? What are the? I mean, they're good at keeping us in the spot. Yeah, like we talk, we can talk about the Cowboys every show because something's gonna happen. Right, but at the same time, I ask the question: Do they really want to win? Do Jerry Jones really? Because every season, I want to win the Super Bowl. Well, the thing is, Jerry, are you have you put in place, or are you going to put in place to either you're going to step back and let the coaches do what they want, what they need to do? And let your son run it, or are you going to continue to be the 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 forefront the, in the forefront of it, the head of everything, where everybody decision has to run through you? That's including the team and the and the and it, it, we've seen over the years it hasn't worked that way. It never will work that way. But nobody knows truly what Jerry Jones or anybody is going to do. Who's in charge? Uh, what they're thinking. Yeah. Because if I'm Dan Quinn right now, I am ticked. He passed up the Denver job because Jerry, and nobody knows what Jerry said to him. He didn't get a new contract. He has this private little meeting with Dan Quinn, and the next thing we know, Dan Quinn's taking his name off the market for these head jobs. But if... If that's the backup plan, then why didn't you fire McCarthy right then and put Dan Quinn? Uh, because Dan's not the backup. It, it, it's yeah, Sean Payton. Right. It's clearly Sean Payton. And the and thing, with, I don't know what could have been said to Dan, but the thing with Dan is Dan has found a defense that he can work with. Oh, absolutely. You don't leave a defense like you had last season, Dallas Cowboys, being the number one defense overall, and go somewhere else. You don't leave that because you built that. That's but something that you about, built. The domino effect that all of this has had with Jerry Jones playing it so close to the vest. 
if Dan Quinn goes to Denver, Denver doesn't get Russell Wilson, in my opinion. Well, yeah. They got him because Nathaniel Hackett left Green Bay wanted a better quarterback. If a defensive-minded coach goes to Denver, Russ ain't going to Denver. He vetoes the trade. Well, he wants to cook. Yeah. Russ wants to cook. And... I, it's I, like you say, it's, it's a, fascinating. Yeah, like the amount of power that Jerry Jones has is fascinating. Yeah. He's an obvious businessman. We all know that. Everybody knows that. It's one of the reasons why he's able to keep Dallas in the in, in the spotlight. He knows how to work the business. But does he know? He does. What does he know about the game? I mean, I, I asked that question. He can work the business side of it, but as far as picking players, the right players, I sometimes question. Because you, you don't make that big of a splash in the off season. Neither do you do you in the draft. And my question is also: Is Jerry Jones sitting comfortable with what Dallas have right now? Because they just signed uh, uh, Anthony Barr out of uh, from Minnesota, free agency out of Minnesota. That's on the defense. I, we, we it's, it's a good sign. Don't get me wrong, but. What about offense? I mean, like I said, the receiving core is promising, very promising. But other people, and, and including myself, I want to see what it looks like in the real game setting. If it doesn't turn out to be as great as what as it looks, what's your next move? Do you go out after uh, Odell Beckham? Uh, I don't know what else receivers out there really. I mean, he's the only one, uh, or I, I guess T. Y. Hilton. Uh, Fuller, Will Fuller, Anderson. But then you start getting uh, that Sanders. second tier Sanders. of like you, you start naming some more second tier type yeah. receiver. But the thing is what the people have been saying is well we want veteranship. We want we should we need a veteran receiver out there. My question is why? I, I mean I like the receiver core as it is, but I also want to see what it looks like in a real game. You know, a, a, a real game setting. But, like I said before, we go out there and say the receiving core, okay, they don't do that good. Now we really seriously got to look at, do we go sign a veteran receiver? Do we go talk to OBJ? We want to we sign you for a year. Mm-hmm. You know, put you on a squad for a year. Um, barring also with Michael Gallup coming. What, I mean, what still? What looks different in the offense? What what will what will change for the Dallas Cowboys moving forward? Head coach wise, defensive wise, offensive wise, even with the Joneses, what will change? And not much has changed because, like I said, they didn't make a splash in the off season or or in the draft. Now they ended up by draft, I guess. Placing, they ended up being third off in the draft. You know who basically off who won the draft. Eagles was second, I think, or may have been first. Or, but uh, Cowboys were third. So I'm just, I, 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 I'm ready to see what they have. Will be interesting. Yeah, Cowboys are gonna be interesting. Uh, we're just gonna hit some of the highlights here. The Browns. Yeah. That's a mess. <laughs> I did see where um, Roger Goodell is not going to hear the appeal. 
he, he appointed somebody else so that he can say he has no part. So uh, he, he tired of getting backlash is what it is. He tired of going to the draft and getting booed by all the fans. Uh, <laughs> but, but and, and you and I have talked about this multiple times. Yeah. This is, what did Cleveland know and what did they not know? I mean, there's so much that I think will come out after about who knew what, what conversations were had, what information was leaked to who. Because you can't tell me. The commissioner can say what he wants. You can't tell me that these different guys didn't call him up and go, okay, what do you know? And yeah. he said, oh, I'm not going to tell you. It's bad it's, for business. It's, it's, it's like an Uno game where everybody else thinks they're winning. But you're sitting there with three three draw fours. Yeah. And a reverse. Yeah. And that's what Cle- it's almost like that's what Cleveland did or has is everybody else say, oh, we got him now. But Cleveland's sitting there about to s- screw everybody up with a, with a, with one move. That's but, what it but feels what like. what did Cleveland know? And, and what did these other teams find? Why did Miami jump ship? And why in the world? Let's go ahead and talk about them. Miami? We get, yeah, we can yeah, talk about Deshaun. In, yeah. But this ties into it. Why in the world would you go after Deshaun if you were already tampering with Tom Brady? That's a good question. What was that? Or were they ever really after Deshaun? I, who wanted to keep this hush-hush? So apparently, if you follow the timeline, they've been tampering with Tom Brady since he was in New England. Mm-hmm. He And then he turns him down, and then he wants to go back, and this time they say, okay, we'll make you part owner. <laughs> then they tamper with Sean Payton, and so they're, now they're both going to Miami. Did Jerry know about that? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's so much to that. Yeah. Uh, but why? Nobody's asked this question. Why did you talk to Deshaun Watson if you really wanted Tom Brady? Because I think the. Well, we didn't hear about the Brian Flores deal until it came out. I think they saw that coming from a distance. It's okay, we get this player. Uh, if Tom Brady, if this happens, Tom Brady's not coming here. So we had we need a backup plan. Yeah, I believe Don, Deshaun Watson was a backup plan. Um, but what was going on with Deshaun Watson? Kind of like okay, we don't want that. We but don't want that in know? our business. What? That's what I want to know. And this is what Miami's not answering. What did you know that everybody else apparently didn't? That was all in on Deshaun Watson. Even to the point that you're going to keep tampering with Tom Brady, I, I think, it, or it, well, it may have been. You know, you say uh, Houston had recently had to uh, settle out courts as well for some of these for being involved <laughs> for hushing up these. Yeah, guys. so I, Miami may have seen. Golly, if I if I get them, I don't want to have to pay out any money to anybody because what if our names get tied but up? But then there? why did it take so long for us to find out that Houston paid off 30 different women? I don't know. I, the, okay, here's, because a, I think Houston was, you, here's a plug. You need to go read the book um, by Mark, Mike Florio, How the NFL Works, uh, Playmakers, How the NFL Works and Doesn't. Yeah. And he talks about a lot of this. But the NFL... Is like the mob. It covers its own. It, it covers its own. It you know it's just like 
And all of this goes back to the whole John Gruden thing that we could talk about all over again. But they, that, that gets leaked to cover up Jerry, to cover up... I mean, it's just... They're going to do what they got to do. Yeah. But, but it still goes back to, okay, if you knew all of this, and if you're Stephen Ross, and you already are crooked as can be, what was the point of pursuing Deshaun Watson? What, I mean, if you... Obviously, they don't believe in Tua. <laughs> which is why I think, and you brought this up too, before the show, that's why I think that all this talk about their Super Bowl contenders, I mean, I don't know who's been drinking the Kool-Aid down in South Florida, but <laughs> but that ain't it. They're not, they're not, they yeah. are not Super Bowl contenders. I they don't, don't even believe in their own quarterback. Yeah. Tyreek Hill's got to be looking at this going, this is a mess. I come to town, I find out they don't want the quarterback that I'm playing with. They tamper with Tom Brady. I don't get to play with Tom. They talk to Deshaun Watson. I don't get to play with him. We lost two first-rounders, you know, coming up. What in the world is going on? Well, I think seeing some clips as well of training camp is that Tyreek Hill, I guess, uh, have settled in. He's gotten comfortable. Uh, Tua may, uh, can get him the ball. But my deal is people jumping on the train of saying, oh, well, they're go- Miami is about to go to Super Bowl, but it's based off of nothing more than them getting Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle out of Alabama. Those two receivers, it's based off of nothing more than that. Your team should be more than just two players. Can your quarterback consistently get the ball to these Which two? Which he can. You know? Tua was a great, exciting college football quarterback. He is not an NFL talent. He's just not. He's not that guy. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was surrounded by a lot. That's what people forget about his time in in Alabama. He he was surrounded by guys that he's not surrounded by in the NFL. Yeah. And that's... That's the other thing about Alabama that people we can talk about too. There are times that Alabama fields a better team than the NFL. Oh, most definitely. There's where a couple of teams that Alabama can beat NFL team. I mean, where you're surrounded by guys who are better than the guys you're going to be surrounded by as a whole whenever you get drafted. Like it's just yeah, it's just insane. Um, some highlights in the NBA world right now. You got the Lakers. You got Brooklyn. It's all tied together. That's a mess. Who wants to go where? Who wants what to play is LeBron? LeBron doing? How long is he going to play? Is it really true that he's got to play with Bronny or else? I mean, that's a whole deal. What's, what's going to happen with Russell Westbrook? That's still in the up. That's up for grabs. He wants out. He fired his agent because he wants out. He hires a new agent. Obviously, the new agent's job is to get him out of L.A. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know, man. The, the Lakers are another one of my teams. I, I don't know. LeBron James is uh, hes getting towards that age. As I, I said the, uh, the other day, he's getting towards that age where he's still able to put up the points, but he's getting older. Dirk uh, Nowitzki, who who played all the way until he was what in his forties, right? Mm-hmm. Now barely able to walk because his knees locks up, and says he can barely play with his kids because of this. LeBron James is almost forty years old, 
still dunking, still blocking, still doing all these things. I wonder if the question, you know, the toll it takes on his body, does he question that? And him saying that, I want to play with my son, I got to play with my son. Your son isn't hasn't even graduated high school yet. And you don't even know if he's going to, for sure, if he's going to be good enough to make it into the league. And if he does, where is he going? Exactly. I, he's obviously, if he does make it, he'll probably be a higher draft pick. And we all know the higher draft picks go to the... The sorriest teams. I, I, I just, I don't know. That's a mess. And and you brought up a good point. If if Kyrie goes, will KD stay? If K, everybody <laughs> wants out yeah. of Brooklyn, and it all ties back to does Kyrie want to play with LeBron? Yeah, who wants to play with LeBron? <laughs> KD doesn't, but Kyrie does. But then does KD it's, go to, where does KD go? I mean, it's just. Does he go back to Golden State with, with Steph and Draymond? It's yeah. insane. Yeah. The, the NBA has turned into a bunch of whiny baby superstars. KD uh, can't be trusted. <laughs> you want to talk about a fraud. <laughs> he can't be trusted with anybody. <laughs> he comes in, takes all your money, and leaves. Yeah. Barely plays. <laughs> but then I want to get traded. You <laughs> whip. <laughs> oh, and you still have to pay me $40 million. Thank yeah. you. And so... Also, another one that's about to be, be quiet just for a little bit, a little dapper here. Uh, ben Simmons. Where the heck does he go? Where does he end up? Who wants him? He hasn't played in two seasons. He doesn't want to play. <laughs> he hurts his back sitting on the bench. I- but he's racking up cash. <laughs> he's racking up cash, man. What, what, a, what a mess right now. And, and we'll probably have more NBA next week because yeah. there will probably be more news, I would think, now that Russell Westbrook's and had the, a new agent today. Yeah, the season's getting ready to start next I, I month. I think you'll probably see some movement there. Yeah. Moving on just real quick to baseball. Uh, Major League Baseball, the Padres win the trade deadline. They get Juan Soto, among others. Uh, I'm interested to see how that's going to fare for them in the NL West. You still have the Dodgers, who are a very good baseball team. Um, the NL's kind of up for grabs. Uh, you do, you, you look over, that's the NL West, you look over in the NL East, Right now, the Mets still have that five-and-a-half game lead. They extended that lead over the Braves this weekend, even though the Braves came surging back uh, to bring it within a half game. The Mets beat them, uh, sweep them out of a series. They go to a four-and-a-half, I mean, a five-and-a-half game lead. In that series, you have Max Scherzer, Jacob DeGrom, the two big arms for for New York that come back, make great debuts uh, coming off injury. Matt Scherzer continues to build on his Hall of Fame uh, resume, so there's a lot of interest there. Uh, if you can catch some of the Mets, I would t- encourage you to. I love watching them. Hate New York, yeah. Uh, but you have Buster Walter, who is one of the brightest baseball minds. They have some really good pitchers over in New York. So keep an eye on that as we move into the dog days of summer and into that final little uh, stretch push yeah. for baseball in September heading into the playoffs of October. You have the Yankees, uh, who are still, in my opinion, probably among, if not the best, team in baseball. They have a very deep lineup. Now, there's some pitching questions there. Garrett Cole has not quite lived up to some expectations that were set for him when he first signed the big contract to go to New York. But, hey, in reality, whoever lives up to a, a contract in, in the Yankee world other than Derek Jeter? I mean, it just is what it is. Uh, so, so keep an eye on them. Uh, then you kind of look 
Your t- our Texas Rangers, uh, my Texas Rangers, they're they're better. They're improved. Um, this year isn't going to be our year at all. You know, even making maybe we wind up on the fringes of the wild card race. Uh, I doubt it. But we're seeing improvements. We we were able to draft Kumar Rocker who uh, was with Jack Leiter and Vanderbilt, part of that great pitching staff that they had over there a couple of years ago. There's talent coming in. We were able to sign some big guys in free agency. We still have a bunch of leftover money. I think within the next year, you're going to see us back in contention. Yeah. Not like we were just kind of on the fringe this year. I think we're going to be legit contenders probably next season. Uh, and I'm, I'm excited. It's still worth watching some of our young guys play. I still watch every game. But I think as far as seeing us contend, uh, I, I think you're going to have to wait till next year to really see see what we're capable yeah. of um, there. Yeah. One of the things that the Rangers is working on uh, consistency. Yes, absolutely. That, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they, they're just we're on the fringes. Yeah. We're not quite there. Yeah. We're, we're just not quite there. Yeah. Next week we're going to dive into. We didn't do it today because it. I want to dedicate a long segment to it, the Live Golf Tour, the Saudi-backed <laughs> yeah. Live Golf Tour. Uh, we'll talk about that next week. I hope you've enjoyed the show uh, as we've tried to put something together here for you. This is Good Old Sports. I'm Riley Pate. Uh, Adrian Herndon. Adrian Herndon, my best friend, and we are so glad to have you tune in. Be looking for our content on TikTok, Indeed. Instagram, Facebook. We're all over the place. We're we're, we're starting <laughs> even on Twitch. We, we've talked. Yeah, we're even on Twitch. We're on different things. We've talked about this as the summer's progressed. Now we're finally able to push some of that content out there yeah. and get it to you guys. Yeah. So we're excited about it. We're excited about Pittsburgh high school football, Texas high school football. We're just looking forward to it. I think it's going to be a great year. Yes, sir. Well, y'all have a good evening, and we'll see you next week.